castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to April 2nd, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is Trump Plaza and Casino. It is Atlantic City, New Jersey. It is WrestleMania 5. I should have taken notes for this entrance. I should have taken notes. I knew better, but I didn't. Time is going by fast. And sometimes you got to say what you got to say, even if you didn't take the notes. Hey, here we go. In this part of the semester, as we enter week four, we are getting close to our first major writing unit. And for a lot of my classes, it's the personal essay. We're done reading about it. We're done talking about it. It's time to do the thing. And the part that's impossible to tell my students is sure they understand. I get an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. But especially in a personal essay that is more than brain in jar, it's embodied human being connecting to themselves, to their conflict, to the world. It's almost impossible to say the less you think about the grade, the better you're going to do. Just engage. Give a shit. Find something that brings discovery, that brings growth. It's hard to explain that, that there is a category that exceeds all grades. There is an exceeds all expectations and you can't necessarily teach it. You can kind of guide and nudge and hope, but the person has to find the right context, the right situation, the right flow of things for it to happen. We've talked about it in this series. Andre the Giant has reached exceeds all expectations. He is a giant like no other. Hulk Hogan as champion, as bearer of the light and flag of this era, has reached exceeds all expectations. He turned on brighter lights in the WWF and outside of the WWF, and he stood on the shoulders of a literal giant. That's not an A. That's not an A+. plus. That is a exceeds all expectations. How is it that I started this series only for Randy Savage? And yet if I look back at his world title reign, there might be moments that he got an A. And Ms. Van rightly argued there could have been more of those moments if they had booked it differently. But there's probably also moments he got a B or a C. And I want to tell you something when it comes to the folks that can exceed all expectations, whether you give Savage a C or you give him an A, both of those are kind of F's. It's not that he wasn't a great world champion. The fact that he became a world champion in this era only testifies to who and what he was. But I'm here to tell you that Randy Savage will never find his exceeds all expectations in that one year title reign. I could leave it here. I'd probably be smart to leave it here. You can get those too far reaching through history, but I want to at least touch on something because we are halfway through the main event run of Randy Savage now. 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92. And I know what Randy Savage is. I understand what he is. History doesn't because history is perverted. The narratives are perverted. 
the things that happened after Savage reversed not only what the future could be, but also the past. I won't get into it right now, but this Triple H somehow pretending like he's the guy who ex- who comes after Shawn Michaels and somehow Ric Flair is the guy before Shawn Michaels because they like Ric Flair and Ric Flair likes them. So suddenly we have a history that is Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Triple H. None of that makes sense. Ric Flair was not treated with respect in WCW when he deserved it. And now in WWE, I think he kind of gets a shoe in that he doesn't necessarily deserve. But also to hold things upside down, because how can you be evolution when you never surpassed anybody that came before you? How can you call your opponent a B-plus player when you're barely a B-player? So there's a lot of things that we deal with that perverted history. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we hadn't, if we talked about Randy Savage like we often talk about Randy Savage, Randy Savage is the original Mr. WrestleMania. And when you plug him in as Mr. WrestleMania, as the man who can give you the best technical match in the era and can give you the best storied match in the era, then you've got the Randy Savage who exceeds all expectations, who can do something that Hulk Hogan can't do, who can do something that Andre the Giant can't do. You want to talk best technical matches in the era? Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. You want to talk the only man, not Andre or Hulk Hogan, who can not only win a four-match, one-night WrestleMania tournament, but be believable in it and carry the strap for a year and be believable in it. You're talking about the macho man, Randy Savage. You want to talk about the most storied, the most storied programs and matches in the history of this era. Hogan and Savage is up there with any of them. And Savage and Warrior is up there. And Savage and Ric Flair is up there. And what do you start saying? Randy Savage, Randy Savage, Randy Savage. He is the original WrestleMania, Mr. WrestleMania. And isn't it funny if Vince McMahon had not done the full-on new generation and pushed Randy Savage into the announce booth, Randy Savage had two goals. To put over Bret Hart and to put over Shawn Michaels to the point that he retired by losing to Shawn Michaels. So naturally, without human narrative, the man that would eventually become Mr. WrestleMania would have been put over and would have retired the guy who came before him. Ladies and gentlemen, we got so much to cover. So many matches. Three hours and 40 minutes of WrestleMania. But I will go ahead and say one thing out of many that I saw. That was one of the smoothest main events. Randy Savage hit a staph infection and a fever, and they said that he would not be allowed to wrestle if it were this era. And Randy Savage came out, and he just did exactly what Randy Savage does. And to the point that I wonder if forsaking the world title is setting him free again. I had expectations on Randy Savage to carry me through this series that were unfair, that no human being can easily do. And Randy Savage has already surpassed them. And at least just as much good is to come. So in case we haven't said it enough over the year, in case we haven't hit that point enough, Macho Man Randy Savage has his place in history 
and is greater and broader and deeper than probably 99% of us give him credit for today. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Thank you, Mystic, for that great introduction to WrestleMania 5, the fifth edition of the biggest show that WWF will ever have to offer. It is, oh, it's a very big night. It is a culmination of this battle of emotions, of narratives, of wills between Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. It is also a card filled, filled to the brim and perhaps overfilled by other matches, other bright characters, some that we will love to speak of, some which we would prefer to never speak of again. It will be a rich night to be talking about everything going on in this era. And, uh, yeah, and uh, Randy Savage especially has to be a very big point of conversation. We are going to talk about it all. It is WrestleMania 5. We have made it to the fifth WrestleMania. And uh, it's funny, we were we were looking so long to get to WrestleMania 3 to WrestleMania 4. These are kind of going to be touchstones. And I don't know if we ever really talked that much about WrestleMania 5, but now that we're here... I mean, it definitely feels like a big deal. Absolutely. I am trusting you to lead us to clarity on some of these topics because, (laughs) my God, like I said, three hours and 40 minutes. I got 20 pages of notes, and it's mostly just match, 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 match. I think you've already hit a truth in the overfilling of the card, maybe. Uh, There are some things I like. There are some things I don't like. There are some consistency that we're still in this era, and there might be some hints that we're kind of like evolving into something else. So there's like, in my mind, just a lot of spread, only a lot of things on the table, and we'll try to make sense of it, and we'll try to figure out what in the world to make of this one event that feels like many, that is WrestleMania Five. <laughs> You're not wrong, it feels like many, and I will say this, yeah, I do say overfilled, and I do believe that, especially because I look over the card, and there's 14 matches on this card, if I remember right, I would say probably less than half of them really have, like, the build behind them, like, I can look at this match, I say, oh yeah, I know the story of this, I can think of, like, what what tipped this off, and some of these, um, you know, some are good, some are not as good, but some of them are just, like, random, it's like, what are you doing, did you guys ever even talk before WrestleMania, now you're having a match, it's like, okay, alright, I'm not saying every match has to have a, a deep-seated grudge feud behind it, but some of these matches are just like, oh, okay, hello, how are you? Right. <laughs> yes, I wonder sometimes, because WWF doesn't pay like WCW, it's not the guaranteed money, but you could actually make more because of like certain dates and because of merchandise, so I wonder sometimes if it's like, well, this guy's about a $80,000 under what we said he'd probably make in a year, so throw him on WrestleMania. Give him a, give him a, a payday. You know, so who knows? What a, what a way to run a business, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is wild. I'm looking, Plus, Bruce Beefcake's on the card, so there is over uh, Phil. I'm looking at... We got Dino <laughs> Bravo. You know, who knows? Who knows? Duggan, Bushwhackers, yeah. Jeez. Oh, the Bushwhackers might steal the day, like... Bruce Beefcake and Hacksaw need to be put on notice that there is a there's a new uh, duo in town. They've got a contender for sure. Okay, so any basic thoughts 
before we try to just go into this because you know, I, I I don't yet know. Like, there's some good, some bad, and some ugly is all I can say. <laughs> no, I don't know what else you can say without getting into the specifics. I mean, okay. we've talked about the big match of the night, the thing that is definitely what is drawing people in the door, the match that, um, you know, will make this a very successful WrestleMania. And, uh, you know, there's some other good matches on here. I don't think any other match can really even try to claim credit here. Yeah, there's some unique things. As the card goes on, you start to realize, like, this is a big night for Ultimate Warrior and Rick Root. Like, they are positioned. You got Andre the Giant still carrying things somewhere in the card. Hogan still at the top. But this this uh, Warrior Root thing is huge. There's another Bobby Heenan carries the night. So there are some definite, like, points that are solid. And then there are some things that we'll probably try to figure out as we go. <laughs> Absolutely so. Yeah, you'd probably, you know, if you're the old... Um they don't structure it the same way, but WCW often had, like, the three main events. Um, and I think you'd have to say it's Savage Hogan, Warrior Rude, and uh, Andre Jake, if you look yeah. at this card. Absolutely. And a lot of tag matches. We alluded to that, but, man, there really are a lot of tag matches. And so, to me, that's an opportunity for tag wrestlers either to step up or get passed by. So, I think we'll have a lot of interesting conversation about that as well. For sure. I, I think I liked all the tag matches pretty well, save one, and that was a pretty obvious one that you've already alluded to. So. Oh, yeah. I was about to say I don't remember which one that is, and we just talked about the Bushwhackers, <laughs> but that's their effect. It is, yeah. I kind of want to put them out of mind. I honestly, too, like, I already dislike the Bushwhackers enough by themselves, but they are an omen to me that the Nasty Boys have to be on their way. Oh, God. I mean... I mean Nasty Boys are... I, I am no fan of the Nasty Boys, but I would take them over the Bushwhackers, so the oh, omen yeah. is worse than the curse in this case. That's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, WrestleMania, sometimes we're used to like that first match being that, oh, we got two guys who are like legit under 150 pounds, let's sit them out and let them like, wow the crowd. Well, you know, we'll get to our first match. It's not that. It's something different in this era. Uh, first, we need to nod... Uh, we have America the Beautiful sung at the beginning, and it's not a celebrity. It is the women's champion, Rockin' Robin, uh, starting the show uh, with that. Uh, Jesse Ventura encourages her to keep her day job. <laughs> and not incorrectly so, I fear. She's not Aretha, exactly. Uh, I believe Robin was scheduled to wrestle Sherry on this show, and while I'm glad they didn't bump it up to 15 matches, it is definitely a sign that uh, the women are pretty much out at this point as wrestlers. It will be a long time before we see that happen again, which is a shame, I think. I think it's definitely a shame. Uh, the division was actually, as sparse as it was, I enjoyed it about as much as I can enjoy it because yeah. you know, the Bomb Angels and Sherry and even Rockin' Robin, you got you got great talents. But, you know, there's also a thing Sherry still is going to make her mark because she's going to send an ominous message throughout the WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, as an eerie moment. We'll get to it when it gets here, but there's nothing more eerie and done well and done right that works than someone saying something that comes out of nowhere. But when the follow-through comes in, you're like, oh, okay, so I, I, I see what happened there. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Uh, we get a little hint of that. I honestly wondered if we would get more. Uh, we'll talk about this much later, but 
I was kind of waiting for something else to happen at the end, and may, I guess I shouldn't have been, because it's WrestleMania in this era, and, you know, it's just going to end with Hogan posing, but, um, yeah, we'll get there. I was going to say, if you're waiting for Hogan to pose, did you not watch the last five minutes of the show? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Okay, so Haku the King, what a world we live in when it's WrestleMania five and the first bell rings, and Haku is being carried as he stands upon the stand, you know, what what moments that we will we will uh, be sad to leave behind? Haku as King Hercules as his opponent. That's right. We are kicking off WrestleMania five with Haku versus Hercules. Yeah, and there'll certainly come a time, and it's not uh, as far away as you might think, when uh, both Haku and Hercules will have no presence in the WWF. Uh, you know, one will be Mang, and the other will be never heard from again. So. Uh, I like both of these guys a lot. I think that's been clear, and uh, it's nice that they get to start off a, uh, a WrestleMania. And I gotta say, I think they do a very good job with it, personally. It's also the beginning of Bobby Heenan because yeah. this is this is a night where Bobby Heenan is managing throughout the show. He has a chance to finally get gold. We pretend like he did not manage the heavyweight champion, so he's got this curse of not being able to manage folks that who have championships. He's got that opportunity. And he's wrestling the Red Rooster. So he is all over the show. And you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know he have, has any other responsibilities. Because when he's at ringside, he is full in uh, for that guy or that person that he is managing. Yes, Bobby Heenan with no less than five appearances to make tonight. One more than Randy Savage last year. So Bobby mm. Heenan, perhaps the true WrestleMania Iron Man. The true Mr. WrestleMania. Wow, that is that's not completely untrue because he's watching folks. Like watch the background with the three hours and forty minutes, you know, and you would think every match he's out there is the only one that he's in. It's an it's an amazing thing to watch. Uh, Jesse Ventura says, Yeah, he didn't go through family members and Gorilla Monsoon says, and oftentimes they dump the weasel. So two different uh, two different narratives there. <laughs> well the um the company is filled with uh, past, future, and present members of the Heenan family, so I suppose uh, you can't say that's untrue. They do tend to come and go, but they come as well as go, so it's not yeah. really fair just to say that. Gorilla Monsoon had moments in this show where I was thinking, I'd, I wish we had Vince McMahon for a more fair and reasoned uh, call. <laughs> I so, think Jesse Ventura it, gives voice to that exact thought before all is said and done. Monsoon was acting out tonight. He's the only person in the history, because we have done Impact the Revolution, we've done WCW, and we've done this. Jesse Ventura is the only person who, almost every time I'm writing down a point, about a minute later he makes a quote that says the same thing. <laughs> and that was one of them. Like He just said it plain out. You know, like He said, you know, I used to like announcing with you, but... Um, so Yeah, Jesse, Jesse Ventura yeah. is... Um, very, very on point with his observations. I give him a lot of credit. Yeah, um, yeah no, he's great. You know, we, we've done the uh, Ventura versus Heenan debate, I think, uh, as many times as we can. But you, you can't deny that these are two of the best color commentators ever. Probably the two best. I don't know who could even else be in that conversation. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, I don't know if there, if there will ever be anything that surpasses Bobby Heenan calling the 1992 Royal Rumble mm. simply because he's the manager of Ric Flair and it goes an hour. But we saw, to me, hints of that 
in the main event of this show. I, I thought beyond the main event, which I have a lot to say, I'm sure you do too. I thought Jesse Ventura was in rare form and heightened that thing and made it matter in ways that it just wouldn't have without him. Like he was, he was doing it, Bobby Heenan. I think partly because he sees himself in Rick Rude and Randy Savage, and Rick Rude had just won, and Randy Savage is a champion. But he turned on an extra notch or gear in the main event. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think of it quite like that at the time. But thinking back, yeah, I mean, uh, his level of investment was up an extra degree, and uh, he, IT seemed very upset actually mm. at the outcome. So uh, the opposite of Heenan's. Exaltation in 1992, but uh, no less compelling. I like it. Yeah, I think it was necessary because I I told our prof in uh, www.lopforums.com that we got so into this feud that I forgot there was going to be a matchup like at the end of it. And so when I look at it on paper, I'm like, Hulk Hogan's bigger. Hulk Hogan's Hulk Hogan. He's going to dominate and win the belt, and there's not that much to watch this for. But between... Jesse Ventura and Randy Savage, like, do not be fooled all the time by by what's on paper because there is life in that main event, in my opinion, and there, there will be a lot to say, and it's a lot of Jesse Ventura and it's a lot of Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Man, and this is just so to me, WrestleMania is Saturday night's main event because that's what we call a lot pay per view Saturday night's main event. WrestleMania is always like we're gonna be a little more serious and professional, and we're gonna be a little more like. Whereas Saturday Night's Main Event is a lot of joking. And like this, you know, we're going to have a song at the beginning. And then a king's going to come out standing on a platform. And then they're going to say, oh, the trumpets can only mean one man. Like, I always think, have these moments, even being a lifelong wrestling fan, where I'm watching 80s WWF. And I'm like, what in the world am I even watching? (laughs) Uh, There's no era uh, exactly like this. There's a lot of eras where you might ask that question, but uh, yeah. only one for this particular reason. It's an amazing thing. So you got these two great, kind of great athlete fighters, like uh, hard-hitting Hercules versus super, super hard-hitting and super skilled Haku. I like it. You know, could have been better maybe. I don't know. But, like, it's exactly what you would think. Uh, Haku and Hercules – I think the only thing that makes me sad about it is, you know, they could do more, they could be better, and they're going to be gone. Like, you know, these are guys that should really be in the middle or upper portion of the card. Yeah, yeah, true enough. But, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting the show. It's a Ah. position with a lot of eyes on it. Um, So uh, I don't begrudge either of them, their positioning here. Yeah, I think they have a very good um, match here, probably only about seven or eight minutes. But uh, they do well together. As you would expect if you're a fan of these guys, as we are. Um, I do. Uh, this is a match that has some story behind it, because we all know what Heenan tried to do to Hercules. But it is weird, and I think we said this before, but it's weird they didn't just save Hercules versus DiBiase for this show. Like, surely you could have cut one of these other matches and given them more time to kind of, like, hash out their, uh, their, their grudge. But, no... Instead, uh, we divert back to the Heenan family, and Ted DiBiase gets cursed on this show. So here we are. Yeah, I think that's probably what I, I think you articulated that better. It's, it sort of feels like with the time to get into this, one of the last two matches on a Saturday night's main event. <laughs> you know? And it's great. Like This is still an era where like a hip toss followed by a body slam is high impact and a great sequence of moves. You know, yeah, sure. So 
even that kind of stuff, it, it flows well. There's a backbreaker. I can't remember if it's Haku or Hercules. Probably Haku. Probably Haku. <laughs> it just lets the dude like hang off his knee mm-hmm. after the backbreaker. So he's just like floating on the knee. You know, these are men that can do just about whatever they want to you. And then you put them in like two hosses, two, two go getters and just let them butt heads. You know, who, who, who's going to be mad at that? Absolutely, and Hercules winning uh, with a back suplex, which is not his finish or anything, so, you know, you have an unpredictable element as well. Yeah, and the Gorilla Monsoon says, both men's shoulders were down, and Jesse's like, no, they weren't, and uh, Gorilla Monsoon, the referee's already holding up the hand of uh, Hercules, and Gorilla says, let's see who the winner is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monsoon uh, is not willing to give up much ground on this show, that is for nah. sure, so... That's the interesting thing with them. Like, Gorilla Monsoon notices things the slowest and sometimes the falsest, and Jesse, like, the quickest. So they got that gap between them, and then they will come together once or twice, but I think it's Jesse Ventura agreeing with Gorilla Monsoon. So Yeah, Ventura will give up more ground than Monsoon, but only if it's uh, justly earned. I got to wonder if McMahon has just debuted, like, being in the year of the announcer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think Ventura would have walked. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, with Gorilla, because it's just like Gorilla. What are you doing? You God, don't be. I mean, yeah, you you don't have to be Vince McMahon. Let let him be Vince McMahon. <laughs> I mean, it was the style, though. You know, none yeah. of this is completely out of character for Monsoon. So, uh, yeah, we're we're getting more black and white as we go here. I think, and mm. uh, shades of gray may be fading out a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. That's a very... I had not had that thought, but how much consequence did the Mega Powers exploding and it just, like, fuck the narrative. Like, the narrative is... We give the most room ever to a narrative and still come out saying, like, oh, Hulk Hogan was right and Randy Savage was wrong. <laughs> you know, they might have exploded the narrative and just left us with the black and white after that. It's very possible, and now you got your baby faces, you know going off to make movies and stuff, so you got to uh, praise them up even higher to hope mm. those movies don't bomb, which they will, hint, hint, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, things are changing. There's a thing that I don't even know how to talk about, about how the success of professional wrestling launches people to Hollywood, and launching people to Hollywood brings down the success of professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Um, yeah, wrestlers in most cases are not actors. If they were actors, they would certainly be actors and not wrestlers, because no sane person would be a wrestler if they had a great talent elsewhere mm. to uh, exploit. So it's definitely catch twenty two. You know, if you get good enough to get out of wrestling, you're probably going to be gone. And I could never blame somebody for that, but you're right. It does. Uh, sort of bring things down because those wrestlers are usually not very successful and uh, also they're off doing something that they're not the best at so it's 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 a weird cycle it is i think too although we won't see it immediately i think we're already starting to see the downfall of hulk hogan as we once knew him like one movie after another going away for a certain amount of time it's only natural that if someone's going to keep going away, in their place, you're going to build new heroes. Mm. And so I think Hulk, the spoils of Hulk Hogan's success, like all we've talked about is he has just earned everything and it's been shocking, you know, but there's going to be something that starts opening up right now, I think, 
that will contribute to some 92-93 reactions. Oh, absolutely. I think we've already started to see hints of it, and it'll be a slow process. I think it'll be a couple of years before we fully see that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's on its way. Like, this Hogan is not the Hogan of, uh, of 85, in my mm. opinion. It's a very different Hulk Hogan already. We're not fans. Justice will be served uh, <laughs> in due time. Indeed. What a weird world. We are so... 89, 91, 90, 91, we're three years away from 92, which is such a big deal for Hogan, for Savage, for everything that we've known. And then so that we 88, 82, we're from 80, the distance from 86 to 89 is what we are from 89 to 92. Mm. And so it took those years kind of form everything. And it's going to take those years to either see things implode or things just to be rebuked and taken away. So. We're in the middle of something right now. Absolutely. I'm always fascinated by how uh, different passages of time affect how different wrestling can feel. And um, I'll, I'll elaborate on that further as we continue in our series. I'll just leave that there for now. I can't wait. That is intriguing to me, sir. Good. And I like. I am one of the few people, in, I think, in the world who openly just says, I like for someone to tease something and then take it away. If it's if it's worth it, the build will be worth it as well. <laughs> Excellent. So the one question we got to get going because we got 172 matches. We do. But I I was thinking about something. I want to get your opinion. Right. I think mine might change over time, but I almost see this error based in WrestleMania. You could say WrestleMania one through WrestleMania eight, or WrestleMania one through WrestleMania seven. Even though Hogan wins at uh, 93 at 9, I feel like we've already, like, the fans are not with it. Hogan's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bret Hart's already established. I see 93 as going with the new generation, but I don't know if I cap where we are. Where we are. Like, do you include 8 because, like, Hogan's still doing his thing, Savage is still doing his thing, or do you, do you consider almost that 1 through 7 is a cap, and 8 was, like, this one year where they thought they could continue it while mixing new talent? And eight doesn't fit with nine or seven. Like, how would you cap kind of these errors based on WrestleMania? I think eight, I mean, the, the, the best answer you can give is eight is a, a bit of a transitional WrestleMania mm. because you do have Bret Hart beating um, Roddy Piper and you have, uh, I think, Shawn Michaels is doing his first singles on that card. So clearly, like, some things are changing. But if push to include it one or the other, I would definitely put eight back in this era because it's Hogan on top, it's Randy Savage, it's Ric Flair. All the new gen people are sort of like on the back burner still, um, with only Bret Hart really kind of breaking forward a little bit. And he won't finish breaking forward um, for a while yet. So I would say... Yeah, right around mid-92, things switch over in a big way. And kind of after that WrestleMania, because after that WrestleMania, it's kind of shocking because Hogan's gone. I think Piper's gone. Um, Sid's gone. Who cares about that? But Jake is gone. Um, It's a big transition, you know, after that WrestleMania. So I I would put eight kind of at the tail end of this grouping, but it's definitely a show that has some transitional qualities. You named so many wrestlers that you only editorialized on one of them. <laughs> I mean, it's Sid, so you know I have to. Um, yes, so. <laughs> I, I agree with you. That's where I ultimately came out. The astonishing thing, because we're such a WrestleMania-centric mm. uh, world, 
um, rightly so and wrongly so, that it's SummerSlam that changes the game. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's got to be because you got Brett and Davey main eventing. Savage and Warrior are on that show, so you got guys who disappeared, but then you got the old guard that can't main event the show, and Brett and Davey steal the show. So, you know, I think the Bret Hart, Bret Hart is the leader of the new generation. And I think he's going to beat Flair in a way that is going to be off camera with a fever unseen. So it really is SummerSlam that does the work of transitioning us out. And that's an astonishing thing in a way by itself. Yeah, it's absolutely true, though, because you look farther on. Um, after that, everything is kind of different because by Survivor Series, it's Brett and Sean in the main event and Savage is in the undercard with Flair. WrestleMania 9, I mean, forget about it. Uh, where is Savage? Is that... Is he, he's not even on the card, you know, and Ric Flair is gone. Everybody who could have been said to be a leader of this previous era is just gone, you know, yeah. gone from the ring. So that's the transition. I agree. SummerSlam is where things truly transition. That is exciting. I, I don't know what it is. But I like that a lot. It's not WrestleMania that does it. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's uh, also because maybe it was not the plan, you know, who knows yes. what they would have planned, but uh when they're forced to do things unplanned, sometimes it can be very exciting. Great points. The only thing we failed to mention is in that mix of old and new at WrestleMania 8, we get an interview with the WBF's Lex Luger on that show. So, <laughs> Very yeah, true. No. You can't talk about new generation without Lex Luger. <laughs> the greatest failure of the new generation was <laughs> uh, in the WBF at the time. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's good. That clarifies for me, and that makes me happy because that gives us a longer time in this era than maybe we might imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. Mid-91 to WrestleMania should be its own little mini-era because, man, I'll tell you, nothing is quite like that that I have seen. 91. Dear God, is 91 good? (laughs) <laughs> Wait till you see the early part before you say that, but there is some wonderful stuff in 91. Okay, or, yeah, I mean the later part. I, I mean, all right, we got Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, The Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, Jake Roberts, all of that stuff going on. It's very loaded, um, absolutely so. And it's a weird thing because we have... That's going to be the other one. Like we, we easily set these markers down. I think we set them correctly. But then there's also the, the parts where where has time and and fans already started to pass things by, but they still exist on camera. Right, right. Because like it's so weird that in the same years there's going to be a feeling of, why don't these guys go away? It's not the time for this anymore. And also a 91 seems like it's too late for this stuff, and I'm so glad it's not. <laughs> right, like, those yeah. are contradictory, but I think they're both going to be there. They will. They will. I'm excited to get to it. Gene Okerlund and the Rockers, they seem very, uh, WrestleMania is a bright spotlight uh, as they stand there and look at the cameras. <laughs> Marty says they will rock and roll and slam and jam and do some <laughs> other things, and then they're going to win. So not the strategy I would have employed against the Twin Towers, but that's what Marty's going to do. So. Marty, yeah, Marty's going to do a lot. Of, Marty's probably already done a lot of things before he arrived. Um, <laughs> so good luck to him. I mean, a lot of them have probably, but Marty yes, in particular, fair. perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Gorilla Monsoon says, let's go back to Gorilla Monsoon and his outspoken uh, partner, Jesse Ventura. So 
Yeah. <laughs> As if that were a bad thing, indeed. Yes. Uh, Twin so, yeah, Towers get, and Rockers. Yeah, this is a very interesting match. It's not one that you maybe would have expected to see. They don't do this uh, competitive size difference thing very often in this era. You know, if you're a big man, you're sort of just going to win uh, as a matter of course, unless you're fighting a certain type of baby face. But I got to say, this is probably one of my f- preferred matches on the card. Um, this, this this was very exciting at times. I like this. I was wondering where you come. I, I ended up liking it better than I thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the Rockers are learning from the Brain Busters. Like, it's a totally different kind of match, but they're employing some of the same kind of smart ideas. Like, Bossman puts Michaels on the second rope and slaps him, and then Marty comes around and, and like, distracts him, and Michaels just comes right off with a drop kick. So, you know, I like how with the Rockers, you think you're in someone else's spot, and you're actually in their spot, but you don't realize it until it happens. So uh, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, looking over the card, yeah, this might, just in terms of what happens in the ring, this might actually be my second favorite match on the card. So I, I would say they overachieved. Uh, yeah. But in a way, they also didn't because uh, Big Boss Man, I love this guy. He's awesome. Shawn Michaels, I think, is already showing a lot. The Rockers mm. are a fun team. I'm not that much into Akeem, but we also get a moment where Shawn Michaels is, like, moonwalking around him, and, like, yeah. I pop for that, too. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, and it's also historical because this is a matchup that has the actual Marty Jannetty, yeah. and then both teams have a Marty Jannetty. <laughs> it's true. Big Boss Man will greatly um, outstrip Akeem in terms of, well, certainly my interest in him. So there you are. Respect the WWF in this era that we're still going to get Bossman and Hogan in a cage. Because it feels like if you saw this matchup after everything we've seen, the WWF is already done with Bossman and he's going to be gone in three months. Uh, yeah, but we have a lot of good Bossman stuff uh, as well. Although he's another, I think, gone in 92. So they really pushed mm. over a big uh, changeover. But man, until then, we're going to get some great stuff. I love Big Bossman. I've said it many times. Yeah. Check out this matchup, folks, because... You know, it's probably it's not meant to be the most important tag match on the card, but it does a good job of uh, showing off these guys, and it's it's a good matchup. It does. It's exciting, and um, it's a little different than what you might expect to see. And uh, you also get Monsoon acting out because <laughs> Michaels just like runs over, he punches Akeem while he's standing on the apron, and Monsoon is like, "Wow, what an innovative move!" And I'm like, <clears throat> "That's not what that means, man. What are you doing? You're losing yeah. your credibility." <laughs> He knew he was supposed to say that somewhere in the match, but that was not the moment. <laughs> That's true. He had that written down, and uh, he just said it at the wrong time. You're right. That was meant to be the tag team specialist uh, moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I like to finish with this. Michaels jumps out of the corner off the top. Mm. He's going to do something, but Big Moss Man catches him, just power bombs the hell out of him, yeah. which I thought looked awesome. And Akeem come in, he does a splash, and they get the win. So definitely the team that you would think would win gets the win, but uh, it happens in an exciting way. And it, it, it's nice to see, too, because I am a massive, massive like in-ring performer Shawn Michaels fan, but he also is going to be a dick and a horrible human being for the majority. <laughs> Maybe his whole career, but definitely his first run in power. So it is good to see him just getting, like, roughed around once in a while, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not for nothing. He pays his dues. He does a lot of hard work to get to a point where he doesn't want to do any hard work anymore. So 
Yeah. Um, but this is another match where – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. This is another match where both teams seem like they have something more important to do elsewhere. Like the the Rockers have been fighting the Brainbusters, like you said, and that will continue. And um, the the Twin Towers have only been fighting Savage and Hogan, but of course now they're they're out of that question. So yeah, it's another time where um, these two teams like did they ever even talk before this? Probably not. But here they are having a WrestleMania match. Yeah, there's something in the first half where I was thinking this is more quantity over quality that. You probably could have the same show in the same era and have a higher quality show, but it really feels like they just wanted to throw everything on there and be like, look at us. This is what WWF is. We got everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's almost like they didn't want to blow too many grudge matches in one place, but they almost should have done more. They should have done more, I think, actually. They should have been more intentional about that card and not just thrown on so many matches and thrown on more matches that had actual grudges behind them. I'll say overall... I like this WrestleMania fairly well, but uh, it does definitely feel like it could have been better. Yeah, it it got a lot better for me towards the end. Sure. Uh, in the beginning, and on paper, I don't even know if I would agree with that, though, because, you know, a lot of people I like are spread out throughout the card, but it's just, yeah. we talked about the last, because I watched this in three days, and the last day I was watching it, I was like, I'm changing my mind on a lot of feelings I had, but that doesn't change the other two days of watching either, so... <laughs> Right, and I will say, I don't know about you, I think so, based on what you said, but this this felt like a long show. Yes. Um, you know, at 3 hours and 40, it's going to feel a little long, but it felt long as well, and that's not exactly what you want out of any wrestling show. I just never understand WWF. Like, you can't say wrestling or sports entertainment. Like, the two Vince's joked about, we can just get rid of the ring, then we'll be where we want to be. And yet, this is the only promotion that just has, like, from the 80s with a three-hour and 40-minute pay-per-view to WrestleMania now, that's like, what, six, seven, eight, nine hours, three days or something. Yeah. You know, like, they're both the ones that kind of disrespect wrestling in a lot of ways and even openly joke about, like, downplaying it. And they're the one, only company that gives you, like, just marathons of nothing but wrestling matches. <laughs> that's true. I don't think in the entire Legacy series we ever watched a show that was an inch over three hours. So. Yeah. Yeah, who's even the pay-per-view provider? And, like, where did... Because I don't think a lot of these are going to be three hours and 40 minutes, unless I'm misremembering. Maybe they will. I'll have to pay attention. But I feel like the WrestleManias tend to be over three, mm. but I could be wrong about that. So I, don't, I don't know if they have been before, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like there is a narcissism in making a card a certain beyond three-hour mark. <laughs> well, like you said, you only have to look at WrestleMania of today, which you have to you know pack your lunch and your dinner and your <laughs> sleeping bag to go to, so oh, there's something going on. Okay, something going on is Tony Schiavone uh, being on this WrestleMania. And the this human WWE. suit is here. Our old friend and enemy, Tony Schiavone, is in the WWF. He's behaving differently, too. Like, he, the way he talks and looks, like, he, there's a, this is a WWF Tony, and I don't even know what the difference is, like, specifically. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just not that he holds um, too much power over yeah. the people around him. He has to behave himself. More like a true human. He has to work harder on his disguise. <laughs> Great. He holds no power. Uh, he's with a uh, Million Dollar Man Virgil. And Million Dollar Man says, listen, little man, which is what he says to Gene Erkelin. So I don't even know that he knows Gene Erkelin's not doing the interview. <laughs> uh, they really wanted to keep Tony, I think, from all accounts. I think they were going to yeah. make him like the new Gorilla Monsoon or maybe replace Vince with him or something at some point. So... 
I don't know. I'll say this. I came out of WCW The Legacy Series genuinely not thinking very well of Tony Schiavone as a commentator. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You can go back and listen if you can dig up the shows. But uh, I don't know. I've developed more of a soft spot for him because I've watched a lot more WCW, like the TV shows, not not just the pay-per-views. And I've watched uh, his current stuff, MLW we watched, and AEW and all this stuff. And I don't know. I feel like somewhere along the line... I grew a greater appreciation of Tony Schiavone. So I don't know. We'll see if he uh, keeps that up or if maybe uh, I start thinking ill of him again as we go along here. I think that he was a a horribly arrogant man Mm. who got humbled. And there's there's Tony Schiavone who has some irony and humor about him, and he's kind of great. And there's a Tony Schiavone who is kind of a bully and serious and a little bit of a horrible colleague and he's not so great yeah yeah that that definitely rings true to me and depending on when you watch him you might see one or the other i think tony would say tony has said many times that he did things like he doesn't even remember some of the ways that he mistreated bobby heenan but he says right after that i'm sure that i did and i believe bobby's account over mine and i was kind of like that yeah you know so i think both are true and then i think with this I can't remember if it was family or he just wanted to be somewhere else or something. But uh, once Vincent Mann has an idea of investing in you and, and then you don't and you go the other way, like I think Vince, he but he was dead, dead to Vince, I think, after this trip to WWF. <laughs> I mean, yes, certainly no job offer was ever forthcoming when WCW shut down. So, yeah, I, I think that's the story. We'll talk more about Tony as we go. But the yeah. human suit is here and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Ted DiBiase is backstage, and he's not saying much of note. Um, and he is cursed, as I said, to wrestle Brutus Beefcake. Another guy, have these guys ever even met each other? I, I don't know. Probably somewhere. But, um, yeah, the big question here for me, is Ted DiBiase good enough to get a match out of D- Beefcake that's worth watching? And uh, here's the spoiler. The answer is no, because nobody is. So This is one of the – this is so dull – yeah. And so dead. And the the crime is that not only is this on a WrestleMania in this era, but we are four years away from WrestleMania 9, which will be Money, Inc. versus who? Oh, Hulk Hogan okay. and Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, I knew there was some other connection between them, but I had blocked it out of my memory. So, um, this is tough. Okay, Deb- Ted DiBiase, I've kind of included him in, like, the upper tier of guys, but now I'm almost reevaluating that because if you can just get stuck – with Brutus Beefcake in a throwaway match at WrestleMania, then do they really think well of you? I don't know about that. Yeah, what's his name? I, I'm glad I've gotten far enough. I don't remember his name anymore, but he, the guy with, uh, with, uh, Jesus, Bruce Pritchard on the podcast. Oh, Conrad? Yeah, Conrad, uh, there's one episode where he gets, super, like, his gimmick is to get super hot. And once you realize it's a gimmick, it ruins, like, the reason you watch it. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is, like, he gets super hot because, like, oh, Ted DiBiase was supposed to be a world champion, a top guy. And then you got him doing this and you got him doing that. And, like, he goes over, like, all the shitty things. And, like, he, I might even agree with, like, part of that. But he, he does that about a lot of people. And so, like, if it's the Ted DiBiase era uh, episode, Ted DiBiase should have always been a world champion. And then we're in, like, the Mr. Perfect episode, and he should have always been a world champion. And then we're in the so-and-so. Like, even if you were yourself were booking, you would have had to pick someone over the other. Right. You know, so DiBiase, he's going to be a complicated one for me because I think there are certain guys that 
they are a great, they're great, great, great. But if you tilt them to the right, they might be in a space where they're not exactly great enough to be in that space. And if you tilt them to the left, they're too good to be in that space. Right. <laughs> you know, so they're hard to pin down. Like Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase is smooth, almost like a Barry Wyndham, but with a whole lot more character. Mm. You know, and Barry Wyndham's fucking amazing without having the character. True. Yeah, I was going to say, I love Wyndham, but yeah, yeah it's an interesting you know, comparison. So I'm just trying not to undervalue Ted DiBiase while also saying that I think it would be difficult for anyone in this era to know where to put Ted DiBiase. That's very fair. And also, I think Ted had one shot at the world title, and it came at the right time, and it passed him by. Um, and that's not wrong for what, what we have seen. Could have gone with him easily. Yes. I'm not saying he should have been a world champion after this, because I don't really believe that, but he should have been doing something better than having a throwaway match with Brutus Beefcake. So I agree with that, but I, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, hmm. I agree with that, but the thing is, okay, I agree <laughs> with that, but the thing is, in the mind of WWF, when you're wrestling Brutus Beefcake, that's not a throwaway match. Right, yeah, I know. It's dumb. <laughs> it's very dumb. But also the thing is he usually gets great big ovations that he doesn't really get here. So then when you don't get the great big ovation, you just get Bruce Beefcake and you see what you see in this matchup. Yeah. I don't think occasionally he'll get a big ovation, but often not, in my opinion. I don't yeah. know. I think Beefcake's overness is exaggerated by um, those looking to make reasons for why he was in the places he was. And we all know, I think, the real reason he was. So. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, um, this match, it's, oh. it's unfortunate because Ted DiBiase, his best in-ring asset, I would say, is the way he can uh, bump around for guys and sort of yeah. create interest that way. So what do you do then when your opponent has nothing but garbage <laughs> offense to offer you? And then Beefcake, his best in-ring aspect is when Greg Valentine did all the work for him and dragged him to some good tag matches. So obviously he's going to be useless here. That is a stupid. You, you deserve a prize. <laughs> this is only oh it's September. This year has gone by. I guess not because it's 2020 and it sucked. But <laughs> in this moment, this year has gone by quickly. But you know, if we do year in, year end awards, folks, Ms. Van needs one for what he just did because he took a match that was so ugly I couldn't look at it, let, let alone talk about it. And he just gave you a very astute breakdown of what was going on in it when all we could have said is it was British Beefcake. So right, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, this match, and you said it, I think, but this match drags. Like, it's very dull. Oof. Even Gorilla Monsoon mentions it, so maybe that's a point back to his credibility. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they go more than ten minutes here, uh, which you might recognize is more time than Hercules and Haku got, who are much better. Um, and then they just do this lame double count out, and I don't know. This this was actually worse than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. When does Brutus Beefcake break his face? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a main event SummerSlam person saying, "Come on." <laughs> Does he? oh god, you're right. Oh man, it must be 1990 then. I don't know. We'll find out. God. But here's the thing, also on that because, like, I get it, like being bitchy about like why people are booked. It's good for your your little gimmick in your show. But uh, so we're arguing that Teddy Biasi was be was a throwaway because he wrestled Bruce Beefcake at WrestleMania five, which means that. The main event of SummerSlam would have been a throwaway matchup. <laughs> I'll say, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see how they build that up. And I, I'm not, I don't think it'll convince me that Beefcake should have been in that position. But 
the problem here beyond Brutus Beefcake, and he has a problem, but the problem beyond that is, again, these two just have nothing to do with each other. You know, there's no reason for them to have this match beyond just for the sake of having a match. You know, if they had done a whole story behind this, it probably wouldn't have been good still, but I bet at least it would have been more interesting. So, I don't know. The big problem is also heels can't win in this era, and if you won't take the Biasi to matter, why make him the million-dollar champion and he's not putting the title on the line? Like, he should be defending the million-dollar title like WCW guys defend the TV title. (laughs) I mean, it's not exactly within his character to do so, but yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, If he's going to have it, should use it, but I don't know. Yeah, you can just have Jack Tunney saying, like, if you're going to carry this belt on this brand, then you're going to defend the belt when when you're wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like he should be winning matches with his feet on the rope. He should be going to time limit draws. He should be screwing people. But then when you got the, the idea that everybody might win the belt from him and take his million dollar title from him, yeah. you got so much more energy than like a boring matchup with no belt on the line that ends in a double count. <laughs> and we'll get there soon. He defends that title quite a bit, I think, but not here. Yeah. And I don't know, probably nothing could have saved this match. But, yeah, they could have at least tried a few other things. It's also embarrassing on the behalf of WWF that I, when he was out there with the belt before the match, I thought, my God, I want to see this Ted DiBiase versus either TV champion or U.S. champion Steve Austin, not even remembering that in 96 they will be uh, paired together. <laughs> That's an easy thing to forget. Um, <laughs> yeah. If only, you know, different times, different places. We leave that horrible atrocity to be introduced to the Bushwhackers uh, through Lord Alfred Hayes. Um. <laughs> Which is no better, and perhaps worse. You were you were correct, my friend, when you said the Bushwhackers are here to serve up a warning to Duggan and Beefcake and everyone else about maybe being the worst thing in every show that they're on. So, I don't know. This is the kind of humor that I don't know if Vince thinks it's hilarious or something, mm. but it's just not for me. We see the Bushwhackers at brunch, and they cut promos with their mouths full of food. Even Alfred Hayes is like, these guys are just offensive, you know? <laughs> like, he, yeah. Okay, that's he attractive. He has to admit it, yeah. Um, I will also say, if you wanted to be honest, like Hacksaw is far above uh, the Bushwhackers. Oof, that's, it's hard for me to admit Duggan is far above anybody, but... I'll, I'll I'll take away the the far and I'll say above and I'll agree with you. <laughs> and then there's a well we'll see we'll see where bushwhackers land and they get they maybe they get more popular but to me goddamn this Rujo's bushwhackers like, I ain't got time for this shit. <laughs> uh yeah no this is this is probably the worst match on the show um and. Uh, uh, yeah, nothing interesting happened. The only interesting thing to me that happens is, uh, Gorilla Monsoon loses that credibility he just got because he spent the whole time doing mental gymnastics to try to justify why he hates the Rougeos for being immigrants to America. And, uh, at one point he insists, well, we've already got all the poor and the hungry and tired. So, like, I guess just take down the Statue of Liberty. Like, we don't want that anymore, I guess. So, not a great look, uh, Gorilla it's a Monsoon. Stupid conversation. Like... <laughs> You like the Bushwhackers, but you don't have room in the country for the Rujas. Yeah, good. for God's <laughs> sakes, they're not even from here either. So if you're going to be xenophobic, please turn it on the people who deserve it, who are here licking children. So <laughs> It's about what line you're standing on. And again, Jesse Ventura is not fully like that. Jesse's going to cross that line, I think, once or twice on the biggest show of the year. Yeah. But Gorilla, I think, zero times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Jesse says it happens every time the Bushwhackers wrestle. If you can even call this wrestling, <laughs> which you cannot. If you're uh, into like Joey Ryan crotch grabbing, uh, go to go to minute forty six of WrestleMania five and look at the power slam that happens. There's a weird, um, <laughs> a weird. Uh, I don't know what's going on in this matchup, but just go to forty six if you're into the Joey Ryan thing. Boy, I'm hoping nobody's into the Joey Ryan thing anymore. <laughs> I hope so. not, but you know, <laughs> we don't know who our audience is. So if if that's you in the you know 40, minute forty six, go to the power slam. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. Bushwhackers will recur often, but hopefully not on pay-per-view, so I hope we don't have to see them too much. God, even I'm almost, I almost hate the Royal Rumbles now because I know they're both going to be like two of the 30. <laughs> uh, how much damage can they do in a Rumble? But I yeah. get you. You should be more afraid of Survivor Series, really. I can't stand these people. The, the theme is, like, if you don't care at all about wrestling, <laughs> like get a different job. Like, you know, with Hacksaw and with Brutus and others, like, at least they're weird and it's like they're doing some kind of thing. Like, I don't like it. I've made it clear I don't like it. But the Bushwhackers don't seem to like wrestling, but they don't seem to like anything else. Like, I don't. <laughs> like, how did they get in the building and into the ring? Like, why are they there? I have no idea. Right. This is like a bottom tier version of uh, George Steele, who I actually enjoy. Um, just because That's a good, how, yeah. yeah, it's like the worst version of that. Yeah, and then they win matches. So it's like, <laughs> I don't imagine they train. I don't imagine they care about wrestling. I don't imagine they care about the match they're in. But then they're beating a bunch of people who, who do all those things. Right, yeah. All they really care about is tasting things. Yeah, and John Mooney gets licked after this, and he, it really feels like, hey, look at my happy face. Is the camera still on me? Is the camera still Fuck this shit. <laughs> Oh, you're not wrong. They have Sean Mooney in what will later be the Todd Pettengill role at WrestleMania 5. Yeah, man. He's probably more, that's one thing he's more well-suited for than Mooney. Yeah, because it's just like he's going to be in the crowd. you got to think the person, the least favorite job beyond getting licked by the Bushwhackers is like go sit in the crowd and find out if the fans are going to think Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage is going to (laughs) win. Yeah, not the greatest assignment to pull, but I meant yeah. for Todd, he's the kind of guy who probably would get licked by the Bushwhackers, and he would do something yeah. with it, but Sean Mooney, man, Sean Mooney has some dignity. You wouldn't lick Okerlund, and Mooney's more of an Okerlund, yeah. so, God, for Absolutely. God's sake. And there's nothing wrong with either, like, Todd Penning, like, there's been times in life I wish I was more of a Todd Pettingale. Like, you really, I think, could just drop him in any space, and he'll be yeah. comfortable. Absolutely. But I, I, I like Todd, yeah. yeah. You, I think Vince does things that like you can tell Sean Mooney is not someone who's going to be comfortable with some of this or do well in it, and you feel like that's why they get the job. Yeah, for sure. The only thing I don't like about Todd Pettengale is that I think he's the one who who put Michael Cole in his sublet when he left. So mm. shame on him for that. But yeah, shame Todd Pettengale. <laughs> I can't wait to talk. Oh God, we got we got some years coming, my friend. We do, yeah. It's crazy to think how far we're gonna go with this. How much will change in time? So it's so weird though. I I, I, did, I finished my PhD in four years, and I think three years plus was WCW the Legacy Series during that. Sure, yeah. You know, so where are we gonna be in three to four years? God, yeah. Life will be different. Hopefully, that's, better. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. So. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, things are coming along. Like we're, The shades of the 90s are coming. The next matchup is, is evidence of that when you have a Mr. Perfect versus a Blue Blazer here at uh, WrestleMania 5. 
Yeah, Perfect versus Owen Hart. That is exciting to me on paper, even though you know from the time and place they're going to get shorted for time and for meaning. But even so, these are two guys who just physically are going to put on a really good match. And for me, they did not disappoint. This is one of my uh, preferred matches on the card. I had fun with this. This is a fun match. It's also Jesse, like many, says he's, he's starting to know the Blue Blazer identity, but he says he will not <laughs> state it because I never state facts till I know they're facts. This is the obsession of anyone under a mask, be it a jobber or a guy who runs for a long time um, in this era, is who's under that mask? You know, oh, it's probably someone we know. We're going to hint that it's somebody that you should know, but we're not just going to say it. They do this for everybody. So um, here we have it for Owen Hart. And Mr. Perfect is not always the bigger man in his matches, like size-wise, but I always forget when he is, he likes to sling people. So like when he does his uh, hip toss, like he's just like slinging you around the ring, and he he gives Blue Blazer a little bit of that sling. I love Mr. Perfect. He's wearing his right gear here finally, yes. which was very uh, comforting to me because I love that uh, singlet. It's just that's his right look in my eyes. Uh, and I gotta say, I love Owen Hart. We're gonna talk so much about Owen Hart, but man, I love Mr. Perfect probably about nearly as much because I just I'm a huge fan of this guy. I think the things he does are awesome. The bumps he does around the ring, the whole aura that he projects, his whole gimmick, the vignettes where he's like playing sports with himself and he's perfect and all this stuff. I don't know. I just I love Mr. Perfect. So any chance to look at this guy is uh, is well in my book. Who do you think is better, Mr. Perfect or Ted DiBiase? Oh, I would go with Mr. Perfect. That's just my personal opinion. I wouldn't begrudge someone going the other way, but I'm a Mr. Perfect guy. I can't remember if that was BK or I think it's BK, yeah, uh, who brought up. We were talking about, you know, the best WWF gimmicks, and we talked about Ted DiBiase. And Mr. Perfect's an interesting one, too. If you're just going to say gimmick, I would probably say DiBiase, because Mr. Perfect kind of only goes so far, you know. But uh, if we're talking about just all around who do I prefer, who would I sit down and watch, if given the choice, for me it's yeah. Hennig. I love Hennig. I mean, I think BK spoke that in response. Remember last week you asked me... Mm. How many, like, who's the best, I think, that was just taken from another promotion and turned into right. something else? Yeah. And we didn't mention Mr. Perfect, like, in that conversation. Should have done, yeah. So that's an interesting one. Absolutely uh, so. Although they didn't, he's another one, they didn't really change it very much. Like, they gave him a nickname, but the things he right. did, are they that different? They kind of are, because he was more of a baby face before, but, you know... I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting one, though. I do like the Mr. Perfect branding. I think it did uh, good things for him. It is something where when it was right, it was super right. But then, like, if, you're, if he's not getting a major push, the Mr. Perfect thing doesn't go so well. <laughs> you know. I feel like he's going to spend a lot of time injured, which is too bad. Um, but the times he is around, I think for the most part, he's going to have a lot to do because, like, Obviously, he'll be Intercontinental Champion soon and with Bret Hart and all that stuff, and then uh, he'll come back. And again, he's with Bret Hart. It was with Ric Flair. He's doing a lot of stuff. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe later on in, like, WCW, I don't know if he was perfect. I still enjoyed him. But in WWF, I think, I don't know, there's going to be some good stuff here. There are. I, here's one thing I want to understand, because Bret Hart had the greatest cakewalk to main event status of anyone just about ever. And nobody talks about that, but this is not about Bret Hart. So it's a later conversation. But, like, when I started watching, like, Bret Hart goes through Mr. Perfect and Roddy Piper in his push. Yeah. And I kind of was right as a kid about Piper. Like, I feel like Piper is almost like, oh, I'm an old man, but uh, I love baby Bret. I saw him in diapers. And, like, 
he's really doing everything he can to put Brett over because he's going to get beaten by him. Absolutely. And I don't know if Mr. Perfect was injured at that time. I guess he wasn't, but, like, it almost felt the same way. Like, it felt like when I first watched it that Bret Hart had just arrived in WWF that day and Mr. <laughs> Perfect was 100 years old. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know. I don't know if I felt that way exactly. Um, but no, uh, I think I could be wrong in that, but there was just yeah. something about, like, these guys were on their way down and Bret Hart was on his way up. And, like, Piper, I think that's a legit read, but Perfect was newer in WWF, at least, than Bret Hart. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Brett's sure. been here since, like, 85, um, but you just didn't notice the whole time, so. <laughs> Maybe I just don't remember that one. I definitely remember the Piper one, because, like, he's going to say all that stuff. And, yeah, he does. But Brett gets a lot of favors, and Perfect's giving him one at a time. I guess maybe he's just booked that way, but it's so weird because I feel like at times they're like, we're not pushing Perfect, but so far. And then times he's going to be beating Ric Flair and retiring him, you know? Right, yeah, true, very true. So, I don't know if they ever had a consistent vision about where Perfect ranks or what they wanted out of him. He's going to feud with Hogan at some point pretty significantly, so I guess that that will be a good um, litmus test to see just how much they thought of Perfect. Okay, I got I got some learning to do, so I'm excited. I think Mr. Perfect's a big blank, big blank slate for me. Yeah, yeah, excellent. That's a good good slate to fill in, in my opinion. Yeah, and Blue Blazer is going to be amazing. This this Blue Blazer is going to main event SummerSlam '94. Yeah. So, top guys. I'm glad that they persevere. They have a good matchup, as Ms. Fan said. You got Perfect, kind of the power guy in this matchup, and yeah. Blue Blazer, you know, running the stunts that you rarely see in WWF, where like. Another 10 years, maybe, but Blue Blazers, <laughs> it's just a different style than WWF normally has. Sure, far ahead of his time. Owen Hart definitely always was. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this is good. Uh, you do get good offense from Perfect, some good bumping as well, which is uh, <laughs> one of his best qualities and something I always love. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a relatively quick match, but they still get some time. They do some good stuff, and then Perfect wins the match with the Perfect Plex, so... Owen Hart uh, picking up a loss, as you would think, under the Blue Blazer gimmick, but still very good performance from both. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that we're building, that we're making clarity on the the name, the perfect place, while he gets his new outfit. So I think he's starting to really come into who he's going to be. Very much so, yep. Uh, Jesse Ventura is announced. He goes and stands <laughs> and poses, and again... Another big ovation for Jesse Ventura from a WrestleMania crowd. Yeah, people love Ventura. I mean, how could you not, honestly? So, I don't know exactly why they do these, but, you know, I, it, it, people like Ventura, so it's nice. And... I think they might be in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's very possible. Jesse Ventura, one of the first people, God bless him, to actually have, like, a lawyer do his contract. So, he could have gotten some things that others didn't. Yeah, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes is with Fuji. Fuji is doing a uh, five-kilometer run. And um, he says he's in superior shape, and he runs the race, and uh, he completes it without incident, apparently, and that's the whole segment, so I didn't know what to make of this. Yeah, it came out looking good, and I was waiting. I, we don't do these kind of segments. I don't understand what the point was. Right, I thought he was going to get, like, clowned or revealed at any second and he didn't and he just ran a race and apparently he did it very well so good job mr fuji <laughs> <laughs> did he not cheat or anything not that we saw i think monsoon uh implied that he cheated later but there's certainly no evidence yeah. that i saw i so. don't know i didn't watch it closely but it, it i was dumbfounded by at least the the lazy watch of it because it sort of looked like he just did what he said he was going to do. Right, yeah, that, that was my read as well, so I don't know what to say about that. 
Uh, okay, so we get we're about to get a hint. I think in two segments we're gonna get a hint of future WWF. And the first one is run it run DMC doing a WrestleMania rap, which is Run DMC is actually a very very uh legit mm. uh well uh well regarded. But this is WWF. Uh, <laughs> this is not. Uh, there, I don't know if there's ever been a WrestleMania where I was like. When are we going to have the break for the celebrities to come out and, like, uh, perform? <laughs> and so this got the fast, mostly the fast forward for me. Yeah, same for me. Um, Run DMC is a name that I know and obviously, like, a very uh, significant group. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not really that familiar with their repertoire or anything, but I don't know. Every few years, I feel like WWF will try to make a WrestleMania song and it will never yeah. go well. And I agree. I, Musical performances at wrestling shows never go well with me unless you're playing somebody to the ring, and that's something. But this this was kind of nothing, so I just skipped past it. So. I'm just going to be fair, too, and say that if I went to a musical concert and the musicians left and two people started wrestling, nine times out of ten, I would probably be like, that's not what I came here for. Well, I would be happy. But, um, yes, if you go to a show and they start doing something that is completely different than the show you wanted to see, then it's just... What's the point of it? You know, I don't get it. So, yeah. oh, well. And respect to the fans. The fans seem to enjoy it enough, and there wasn't any turn. We're, we're yet to the point where we're going to turn on, you know, people. But right. it's just sometimes I think WrestleMania succeeds. Like, Vincent Mann is both, like, this amazing person who created WrestleMania, and then sometimes it feels like it succeeded uh, in spite of him. <laughs> At times you're definitely right. I will say this. There's two segments on the show that – um make me feel this way like you said the crowd like they're they they're, they're fine with this they kind of go along with it in this period but i think segments like this slowly but surely burned up the patience and the goodwill of wrestling fans yeah. until eventually you do get fans who who object to the things that they don't like and um yeah you know they're willing to go along with it today but uh you know, maybe they go home and they say that that part was not actually very good. You know, next time, maybe I'm going to say something about that in the arena. Mm. I'm going to let them know what I think. If I could teach the world one thing that comes with age, it is that goodwill can be eroded. Mm, yep. Because like, that is exactly true, because we talked about this with Hulk Hogan. He's already starting to do things that will cost him years later, but there's no evidence. Now, you know, in my lifetime... Every political party that's winning, every culture war group that's winning will abuse their power when they're winning. And then what do you see from that? Everything goes this way, then that way, then this way, then that way, because everybody that thinks they're winning acts like they, they have to be winning for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I would just love to see someone be like, you know what? We are doing well and we're grateful and we don't want to abuse that. Oh, you're describing something really beautiful. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to engage that with that right now because yeah. I feel like it's been so long since anyone actually did that. If they ever even did that. If they ever did. Now. I agree with that, too. So, Jesus. But as long as the human being can imagine that, whether it's realistic or not, I think it's right. nice to say we don't have to just abuse every good thing that comes our way. Right. Yeah. And this is that. Like, even if it's like 15 years later where the fans are reacting differently. Yeah. It's still, you, you started it like 15 years ago. and <laughs> I will say there are big pluses and there are very big minuses to the way crowds will react in the future, and I would not uh, 
say it's only one way or the other, but mm-hmm. in a way I am grateful that we will eventually get fans who will stand up and say, Hey, this isn't good. You know, boo, yes. this is not good. Don't just make us sit through any crap just cause you got us in the building with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. So I don't know. I'm grateful that in time we will have uh, rebellious fans. Even if they I like that conversation it. too yeah, because sure. there are times that I I can't I can almost not watch because I feel like you know it all like maybe you don't like it but maybe there's fans that do and maybe you you don't get to dictate every single thing that happens but then just the true almost every good thing that has forced like change has come from that too so you know these are complex conversations right it's like a painful but necessary process. So yeah, I don't know. You have to be able to listen to fans. And I think we know that, especially nowadays, certainly one of my least favorite things about the modern era is the wrestlers who go onto Twitter or whatever platform and complain that the fans are the problem because fans can be annoying, but they're the customer. Like they're never really the problem. Like if they're mad, there's a reason they're not just mad because it's so fun to be mad. And I shouldn't say that because I think occasionally they are, but by and large it is connected to something real that should be addressed. Yeah. And the fans, when the fans need to be better, it's the fans that need to be better. When the wrestlers (laughs) need to be better, it's the wrestlers that need to be better. So when you hear a wrestler just wholesale blaming the fans, there's something wrong beyond that. Absolutely. And when the fans are out of pocket, it's other fans that really just need to be like, hey, shut the fuck up. You're over you're <laughs> over the line here. Yeah, it is a complicated conversation for sure. But this is it's important because we got, you know, as, we're not going to have all the answers. We're just two people who like wrestling and do a podcast. Mm-hmm. But like there's got to be more than just watching this whole thing and saying, oh, wrestling happens in cycles. Huh, Miz fan? Oh, <laughs> God, my least favorite talking point. That's not true, but it's up there. But that that is a fairly clean, uh, well, like how many how many people eventually fall to that? And like yeah. we're already seeing it's not that. Yeah. You know, Bret Hart's going to be a world champion in part because he's not an American in a time where people are like, I'm sick of having this like pro-American extreme like stuff shoved down my throat where he's not got like a super great body in an era where Hulk Hogan's going on, on record saying he took steroids and everything was kind of bullshit, you know, like... There, Bret Hart is currently a Hart Foundation tag team wrestler, mm. and Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon and others are behaving in ways that will make him a world champion in 1993. Mm. Yeah, very true. Like, that's some deeply complicated stuff, and Bret Hart's great, and Bret Hart's got to rise to that occasion, but it is weird that like we can't have a conversation in 1993 that doesn't include behavior in 1988 and 1989. <laughs> That's true. It's very connected. So we're, you know, we're just, I don't know what's happening with this show, and I don't know how I'll look at it in the past, but WrestleMania, or in the future, but WrestleMania 5 and 89, I'm starting to feel a shift to what either we're halfway through what we've been calling, or even fat, like even quicker, but we're, something is shifting underneath us at this moment, and it's very, it's not that easy to see, but there is a shifting uh, going on beneath us. Yeah, we're very close to the 90s, and the 90s will be a very different beast. There will be a few different beasts, so. Yeah, this is amazing. This is Ultimate Warriors about to rise, and Sting is about to beat Lex Luger, Ric Flair, and Great Muda to be the guy who will take the NWA into the 90s. Mm. So bad things are about to happen, is what you're saying? Yeah, a lot of face pain, too. We got Demolition. For God's sake. Uh, 
They're don't, up next. Don't rope in Demolition with these other face paint guys with Sting and Warrior, because I actually like Demolition. <laughs> I love that. This is the only podcast where, you, where Sting takes the same beating as the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> not, let's not go that far. Sting is a guy... There's a lot of reasons I dislike Sting, but I, I can kind of like... I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of joking. Not really, but sort of. With Ultimate Warrior... I'm not joking. Fuck yeah. that guy. So they are absolutely different. I mean, in that statement that you just said, don't don't true, talk. True. Uh, Sting. In case you in case you joined us in WWF the Legacy Series and not WCW, Sting is an amazing talent. Does a leapfrog better than probably uh, the uh, a frog? I guess would be the originator <laughs> of that. Like just a damn good leapfrog on that man. Uh, just maybe didn't think he was actually the franchise of the company and the go-to guy and a consistent guy who can carry a belt. Like, you know, just things like that. <laughs> just those things, yeah. Just those. But if he had been in WWF, he would have. All right, enough Sting fans. Go go home for a minute. <laughs> We've Sit talked down, to you Sting enough. Fans. We never have to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. And I, I respect this. If we ever do TNA, the Legacy Series, which I doubt we'll do, but Sting, that might be my favorite Sting. I I wonder, because my experience with that, I'll never forget, I came into WCW The Legacy Series expecting to like Sting, and that is so weird for me to think of now, because I so do not like Sting as a performer. So yeah, I don't know, I saw bits and pieces in TNA, and I was like, oh, I kind of like this, but I saw bits and pieces of, T- yeah. of Sting in WCW, and I thought, oh, I like this, so... The closer you look at Sting, often the worse it gets, and I wonder if the experience would be the same. I don't know, but it's something to think about. Is there a question that everybody that wears paint and fancy clothes need to prove themselves just a tad bit more than anybody else because they get an instant bump that other people don't get just because of the way they come out looking? Maybe. I don't know. Presentation is very important. You win people over with good presentation, then uh, sometimes you don't have to have the other things that you're supposed to have. Cough, cough, Ultimate Warrior that we're going to talk about here. So. Oh, dear. And if you want to respect Sting, if you want to think that Sting deserves to be the franchise, just compare him to the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, well, I'll leave that alone. That's another conversation that, like, we've had this, we've had 20 years of, like, Lex Luger's the worst wrestler that ever happened. Ugh. You know, what in the world is the Ultimate Warrior in that case? You know? <laughs> because I take Lex Luger over Sting or the Warrior, but I know most people wouldn't. But at minimum, you got to put him in the middle of them. I wonder. I don't want to ask because I don't want to hear the answer. But I do wonder yeah. if people would take Lex Luger or the Warrior. Um, but I don't want to know. Not really. <laughs> well, I know if you what they a, should say. Yeah, That's go all I got. If you have a brain... Uh, watch WrestleMania 6 and see the biggest push of all time and see what that does for the Ultimate Warrior. And watch, like, uh, 10 minutes ago, we decided Lex Luger is going to wrestle Hulk Hogan. Like, Lex Luger gets just as much out of that Nitro as oh, Warrior gets out of WrestleMania 6. More for me. <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, we can only imagine if Lex Luger had ever properly been pushed. Yeah. You know, and the Warrior... I mean, well, oh, shit, we got Warrior in WCW, so then we can make that comparison, too. <laughs> You know? Oh, Lord. Yep. All right. I guarantee you, if you put, unless people have turned on the Ultimate Warrior, well, they probably turned, they probably turned on him for his beliefs, and then they probably turned back to him and WWF sanctioned him again. But unless you count, like, people stop liking him because of his beliefs, I would be shocked if you put out a poll and you got, like, an enormous audience reach that it wouldn't be Sting 1, Warrior 2, Luger 3. Ugh. 
Certainly at one time it would have been, but um, yeah, man, that's so gross. Even if you put aside the disgusting beliefs of Ultimate Warrior, man, Ultimate Warrior is just not good. I don't know. We'll talk more about it as we go. Yeah, when Warrior doesn't injure someone, I am shocked from <laughs> what I'm watching. Well, you won't be shocked on this show, so, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that's sad. Okay, okay, so Demolition is, uh, you know, they're going to do things like get revenge and beat people up and all that kind of stuff. Here's a match, at least, the first one since the opener, that actually has a, a story behind it, because this goes back to Survivor Series, the big double turn that the, the crowd didn't fully get at the time. But, um, yeah, you have Demolition, Two on three, taking on uh, Powers of Pain with Mr. Fuji in the ring. And there's a big conversation about, will it be useful to have a third guy in there? Or is he the weak link? Because he's going to get uh, isolated and demolished, as the name implies. Yeah, um, I am a Demolition fan. You know, but you know who I have as the MVP of this matchup? Oh, who? Tell me. Mr. Fuji. Yeah, he does a great job. This guy blew me away. Like, he might have really won that marathon, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, he he played a clown a lot, and uh, I don't even know the character of Mr. Fuji. Um, I can't speak to that, but uh, Mr. Fuji could do a lot of good things. I've been a Mr. Fuji fan long before I checked this era closely, um, mm. just in terms of the things he does, you know, when he's in the ring and as a manager, and, uh, you know, he can be very goofy, but he can be very talented as well. It works with his narrative, too, because he does not care about his wrestlers. He nope. sets them up to fail. And he <laughs> betrays the tag champions. And the only person he cares about is himself, and now he's in the ring, and now he's coming with a quality that I've never seen him bring for his wrestlers. Yeah, sure. well, he's bringing it for himself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it fits with the narrative. Um, yeah, no, he's very good in this match. I absolutely agree with that. Nine, nine, I've already done nine times out of ten. Seven times out of ten. Um, like if you if, the, if you take a feud that should be for the tag titles, and it's like oh, it's a handicap match with the manager, or it's a handicap match. Period. Like I'm already liking it less. But old Fuji, old Fuji makes his makes his place in this match. He does, yeah. So just just talking strictly of the match and the characters, I I enjoyed this. You know, I, I thought this was actually fun and uh, i don't know if most people would say that because i feel like some wrestling fans would be like i don't know i feel like there would be a, like a feeling against this match but i enjoyed it so i i had a good time i'm just not convinced it would be any better if it was because powers of pain are the powers of pain you can like them or not like them but number one they're going to bring you a certain kind of match and then demolition also kind of like some of the things that make demolition amazing are less so when they're wrestling people as big as the powers of pain <laughs> something to that you know there's a thing called uh, being a base for a smaller guy and uh, mm. if you can do that well that's a certain kind of match and then Haas versus Haas can kind of go either way but uh, I'll say I thought I mean I love Axe Axe is like my MVP of almost every demolition mm. match maybe Fuji here but just the way he pummels guys of any size is so great and so compelling to me and then they said you do have Barbarian and man if anyone ever threw a better big boot the yeah. Barbarian, like, I've never seen it, so, there's some good stuff in here. It is, uh, my, I'll go ahead and say my, my dislike is that, at times it felt like to me, it's, uh, one person is, like, pummeling the other guy, and now it's the other person on the other <laughs> team's pummeling the other guy, and in a way, that's what you pay for, I guess, with these guys. Right. 
But, you know, there's also we're, – we're in a world right now where the brain busters exist. So you, you just got to be careful is all. And it's not a bad match, but you just got to be careful when the brain busters are lurking around. Like, we're not – like in '85, this probably would have been like, "Oh my God, these guys are so fast and they're so, uh, <laughs> you know." But I, mean, I don't know. I don't have it as a bad match, but it's not. I feel like you could have done better with Demolition on this card if you wanted to. I think that's probably true. Um, you know, Powers of Pain. I love Barbarian, but they can only go so far. I never thought much of the Warlord. Um, and yeah, uh, it is definitely all pummeling all the time. And uh, of the tag matches, I'd probably put it comfortably at number three in terms of interesting, and it's the tag title match, so, you know, take that yeah. what you will. Is that lower than the Heart Foundation? I'd put them a little bit above the Heart Foundation, okay. still. I, I have to remember, I have some good things to say about that matchup. I, uh, I have no problem I can see that. either one being better, I'll put it yeah, that way. Yeah, okay, they're, they're around the same area. Uh, I would go with Demolition, but just by a little. I definitely prefer Demolition, so let me be clear about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to it. So that's the Rockers and Twin Towers and what else? Uh, marked, um, uh, Strike Force and um, Brainbusters. Ah, okay. Number one. Good, good. Probably my favorite uh, match on the card, actually. We'll talk about that soon. Okay. So, I feel like what the listeners would be thinking, though, is like, why are you talking so much about this? Answer the burning question. Did Mr. Fuji go to the top rope and, and, and attempt the Alabama Jam? <laughs> and the answer would be sure he went to the top rope and attempted the Alabama Jam. Mr. Fuji, a very accomplished wrestler in his time. I've seen him wrestle Bruno Sammartino. He was a tag team champion in his day. So never say Mr. Fuji couldn't do anything, you know, because he's got some stuff. He's also really good at, like, helping, like, his talent retain the world title at pay-per-views where they shouldn't. So (laughs) he's got talents. Uh, One time, at least, he will do a very good job of that. (laughs) And we got the salt. This is... Now, this is typical the other Fuji that we've seen a lot in this series, where he's going to take the salt out, hold it in his hand. If his goal wasn't for the guy to duck and to throw it in the eyes of his, like, the guy's actually managing and teaming with, I'd be shocked. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Mr. Fuji just wanted to present himself with a lot of uh, unique challenges, so we get the salt <laughs> and the mustard and all the condiments, so, you know. Oh, Fuji. <laughs> Demolition's going to win, as they should. Yep. Yep. What are you? What are you thinking? If you're Mister, F- so you were managing demolition and they upset you, so you betray them, and now you're managing the powers of pain and you're helping demolition win and keep their belts. <laughs> ah, did he ever truly betray demolition, man? Oh, I like that. <laughs> that would be masterful. Okay, so demolition is still your tag team champions. Yep, indeed. Tony Schiavone uh, is outside the dressing room of Randy Savage. He is. Macho Man is raging inside. Tony seems to think he's going to get an interview. He should have paid attention because Savage runs out and says no interviews and knocks over the camera, and he, he runs around crazily. So read the room, Tony. Uh, that's hard yeah. for, a, for an idiot. <laughs> yeah. so. Don't be cruel, Ms. Van. You know you can't do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, man. Randy Savage. I went through two phases, and I'll try to uh, not spoil this because it's our future conversation, folks, in about an hour or so. Uh, I think Randy, Hogan broke Randy Savage, hmm. and it is ugly. And if he's writhing on the floor, foaming at the mouth, I'm not shocked. 
And I also kind of think the best thing in the world that could happen is that Randy Savage get broken and, and get on to something else in his life. So yeah. we'll see. It's a complicated world, at least on this show. <laughs> you may have something there. We will get into it. Uncomplicated is putting Dino Bravo in the ring with Ronnie Garvin at this stage in their lives. And I got to say, I got no problem with this match as a match, but if you want to talk about filler on the card, yeah, like there's no real reason for this to be here. So I agree on both accounts. Uh, we get Jesse and Chara saying Dino Bravo has unlimited power. Gorilla <laughs> says, well, not unlimited, Jess. We saw that. We saw it wasn't unlimited. So guess what we're back to, folks? We're still talking. I told you they would never stop talking about that Royal Rumble segment. That was That was over a year ago, much more. It's a, the, the, like the company that, that can't remember anything remembers that and will never. If Dino Bravo, you know, he, he's dead, rest in peace. But if he came out on Raw now, they would still talk about it. I think. Yeah, I hope so because I actually think that's part of what makes this era better than others. Is it feels like just a small town community where once you do anything in public, that's what you're going to be known for, you know. Yeah. And now, like you said, it's just like oh, people don't remember anything. But yeah, people do remember things. That's like, okay, that's the comparison of a wrestler blaming the fans wholesale. You know something's wrong with the wrestler. And if a company says we don't maintain history because the fans don't keep up with it, that it's not the fans, bro. It's like booking got too hard for you. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Oh, dear. Jimmy Snuka comes down for reasons I don't know. I don't know what he's announced as, but it's a big return, I guess. But I don't know if it's associated with the match or he just comes down. Yeah, I'm not very excited to see Jimmy Snuka. Um, in addition to the fact, you know, the, the real-life stuff, that he's a murderer, he is, you know. Uh, but even putting that aside, I just never liked Jimmy Snuka even before that. I don't really get his whole deal, but we're going to have to see him. Uh, periodically, many times over. So here he is, I guess. Hooray, Jimmy Snuka. Yay. I think for me, I will say, like I do on so many of these, because I've been humbled so many times by uh, Benjamin Button and BK and r Uh I haven't watched a lot of Jimmy Snuka, so I'm sure someone somewhere can be like, hey, you know, this, that, and the other. But like in history, the way we, re we remember him as a wrestler, at least, is he jumped off of a cage. Sure. And, Inspired Mick Foley. That's the only yeah, thing he ever I, did in the narrative. <laughs> I'm not against that because, like, in its right context, that can be cool. But even that's a 50-50 for me because that, like, more big moments that maybe warrant it or it seems natural or it's too far later, but it at least made sense in the context. But you did, that means you also inspired every, you know, yeah. probably back, backyard wrestler who – <laughs> you know, gets into the business just to land on their head a few times and never, like, make an emotional or meaningful impact. So, you know, even that's a murky one for me. So <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. That's a lot to lay on Jimmy Snuka, but uh, he probably deserves it. So, yeah, I don't know. He was very – he was extremely popular at one time, and, yeah, like, influential to some degree from that moment. But uh, I don't know. I was just never a fan. So we'll see yeah. what he can do. I'm not optimistic. And jumping off the cage, like, Kurt Angle will, will eventually do his little moonsaults off the top of the cage. And, like, that's the most, to me, the most, Kurt Angle doesn't need to do a moonsault off the top of a cage. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he can, though, then means that, like, what does it matter that anyone can do it? So, like, there's also a thing, and these are just my rants, folks, but, like, if you're, like, the, already the greatest, like, oh, you want a medal for the United States, like, be good at that thing. Like, some folks probably can only jump off the top of a cage. 
And you, you kind of ruin it for everybody when you can do everything else, and you can also do their one little gimmick. <laughs> so be, be, be kind. There's certainly a question of uh, escalation, so that's something yeah. we'll talk about a lot as the series goes on, I think. Thank you for, like, saying, you know, all that in, in, in incoherent rant. Like, there's a <laughs> word. That, here's just a word. So, absolutely agreed. This match is short. Uh, the folks... They, they 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 try to be stronger than each other, folks. You might not you might not catch that from the names, but they're trying to just overpower each other and stomp on each other too as a thing with Ronnie Garvin. So, who will win? That's all. Well, which company is it? You might ask yourself, and you might know the answer. <laughs> it is the WWF. So yes, Nino Bravo does get the win. But I'll say for for being a short throwaway match, I thought this was fine. I don't still get the narrative of Dino Bravo being this all-time terrible wrestler. I just no. don't see it. Um, Ronnie Garvin is a guy I like. Uh, he's got those heavy punches. He was an NWA world champion at one point, so he brings something to the table. Um, yeah, he loses, but he still stomps on uh, Frenchie after the match. Um, and Monsoon says if Frenchie got stomped, then he probably needed it. So there you go. Mm. I have something to say when we get to uh, Rude and Warrior. And it's a bit of a game. Like we're, we're going to deal with this idea that you, the consequences uh, consequences of being able being unable to lose with dignity. <laughs> yeah, Garvin has that down. So you know, Brainbusters and Strike Force. My lord, what a matchup on paper! Oh boy. oh boy, I'm excited. I still wonder if the Rockers and the Brainbusters should have taken this slot. Martel and Tito, they could have split. Against the the Twin Towers or against anybody really, but still, I'm very excited about this match. On paper, I agree, it looks amazing. And for me, yeah, this is my favorite match on the card in terms of the the things that actually happen in the match. Um, you've got Bartel, he's so fired up. You got Strike Force, they're so great. Brainbusters, they're doing a million little things as always that you really gotta love. Oh, so we, we, we got the drama in this match, but I'll just say the action itself up to that point is really superb, I think. I, I, I really like these four guys together. Absolutely. There's this whole show-don't-tell thing in this reality wrestling, and there's the Brain Busters are on a WrestleMania stage, and it almost feels like the stage could be too big, and if you don't start off well, you could go under. So, like, almost in the very beginning of the match, when a strike force goes off the ropes, and Arn Anderson from the apron just lifts a knee in order to get the advantage, and it feels like almost a, we got to get this so we can take a deep breath, so we can settle in, so we don't get overwhelmed by WrestleMania. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely so. Oh, man. And it's just Arn Anderson doing a knee from the apron, but that is Arn Anderson, folks. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is the only Brainbusters WrestleMania thing that exists, right? So Yeah. So, yeah. I also noted that that this is this is it, and that feels weird. And it's also, my friend, thirteen years later we're gonna get Arn Anderson doing a spine buster uh to the Undertaker, and that will be within the boundaries of this of our of our series, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely will be, and that's a match actually that I've never seen, and I'm very excited to check that out, because I've always, uh, known about that moment, and I would love to see it, so, in, in a lot of time, we will cover that. I hope the world survives and things get better, because, like, even as I say that, I get a weird feeling in my chest that we're never gonna see that day that we do that, but hopefully that's just because it's a long ways away. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, the world is more likely to break down or you're more likely to break down before we get there and refuse to <laughs> go fair. on, but, uh, 
I hope we that. get there. I'd love to have that conversation with you. It's just weird. Like I wrote it down on paper and I can't even hardly look at it because we're talking about the Brain Busters versus Strike Force, and yet Arn Anderson's gonna Spinebuster the Undertaker in 2002, and WCW will have no longer will no longer exist. And like I can't, I can't even get my years right, man. I just can't get them right. And yeah, Ric Flair has never even been here yet. Undertaker doesn't even exist yet, so there's a mm. lot of daylight between here and there. Ric Flair has not yet helped the Undertaker win the world title. Yeah, true. What a what a world, folks. <laughs> what a world we have coming. We get an ex. I know it's his finisher, but we get an excellent Boston Crab with like nice art uh, from Martell on Arn Anderson. Now, I don't usually stop the conversation to talk about Boston Crabs, but this one, fans, it's worth it. <laughs> worth it. it. Watch it. Martel's so damn good. So good. And it does make me sad, I'll say, because this is the last time we're ever going to see Babyface, Rick Martel, which is the best Rick Martel. The model, I think it'll be fun. Well, it's a lot of good stuff to see in there, but uh, the beginning of the end, Tito hits Martel with that flying forearm by mistake, knocks him off the apron. And I'll say, from Martel's point, I really got a great read off of him. That, and I knew it was going to happen, of course, but I got to read off him. After so much effort to make his comeback, he's gone for a long time. He made a comeback. He came to do this tag team match, and now he's getting knocked around by his own guy. I just read from this guy, I don't need this shit. You know, like, yeah. I didn't come all the way back here just for my partner to try to knock me out at WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I agree. When you're a tag team you probably have the feeling like I have to like if that happens three times a night you kind of got to take it but like I've been rehabbing I've been wrestling by myself I actually don't have to put up with this shit if I don't want to and guess what I just realized I don't want to indeed and Martel does realize that he walks out on Tito Santana and it's the little things because I love you see Tully Blanchard's face when this happens <laughs> and like they didn't plan this of course but. They're so ready to take advantage of it. Like, they, they're so engaged in every moment. And that's, again, I just love the Brain Busters for that. Yeah, the Brain Busters don't get breaks in life. That's why they're so good. <laughs> and when he realized we're getting this break, like, I've never seen Tully Blanchard look so young in my life. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I love that, yeah. These guys had to, to scrabble and fight and claw for everything. And here... Wow, the the weight is lifted off for a second, and they actually do get a lucky break. They had the thing for a moment. Like, why were we ever in the NWA? <laughs> like, we're at WrestleMania, and one half of the team just walked away. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love it. And then the spike pile driver. Is a, dear Lord. So good. So good. So the Brain Busters are just... I keep forgetting they're not the tag champions, and that's not disrespect to any other team, but I honestly keep forgetting that they're not the tag team champions. Mm, they will be in time, and I'm excited for it, because uh, as much as I love Demolition, Brain Busters were born to be tag team champions, in my opinion. Yeah, this is one of the great stories that will never be considered that anywhere else, I'm sure, but to walk into the WWF uh, as members of the Four Horsemen, but Flair doesn't come, and to come in so plain... Like, Arn and Tully are plain, and they're going to dominate the WWF in 1988 and 1989. Mm, Deal with it. It is incredible. It's more success than you would think these guys would get, and they they don't get clowned. They're just too damn good. They're great. I love this team. We know this. Absolutely, and everything you've said about them is panning out. They really – this is – 
this is a great era in WWF tag wrestling, and it's like they just came in above it. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. They walked in, and on day one, they were like the best wrestlers in the company, or very nearly so. Um, and certainly the best at their style of wrestling, which uh, the yeah. company was not even like interested in, and yet they just made it happen through sheer force of will and skill. Absolutely. Man, that's good. Okay, so Gene Oakland's with Rick Martel, and uh, he is trying to lay in on Rick Martel, but Rick Martel is not having it. Indeed, he explains in that ultra-thick accent that he sports, which is probably why he got turned heel in the first place. He says he's sick and tired of Tito. He was doing great in the WWF, coming back, wrestling by himself, and here's Tito to ride his coattails again. Uh, Martel says, I could have done a lot worse than just walk out on you. And I almost wish he had done worse, because then they would have gotten a real blow-off match, and they never will, and that makes me sad, but... uh, We'll look. We'll look for everything with this pairing because this is a feud that is, I think is great and deserves more attention. Absolutely, Gene is in his fake outrage, um, and I love the response. You know, he's lucky that's all I did. So, you know, don't play to him. That is the only way that you're going to win in this era if you're going to be a heel. Is do not let their outrage. Do not play to them. Do not apologize. Act like Gene Oakland is not standing there and say. I actually am a gentleman, and that's all that I did, and I could have done worse. Mm-hmm. That, that man owned his narrative, but then I don't know how that's going to lead to being the model and being very... Like, again, like when he's a baby face, he's super like powerful, and in that promo, he seems super strong and powerful. So we'll see, we'll see how that also moves. Yeah, I think we're, what we're going to see is what it is. He will just become the model, and there will be no conversation about it, so... Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a disservice to Martel, I think, that he just, uh, sort of became, he's another guy who lost his name, like, they'll barely say his name for a while, he'll just be the model, and, uh, it's not, this is not a time where they took someone from outside the company and made them better with a gimmick. No, and it's, the model's a fine enough gimmick, but it's saying the only thing that person can do is annoy and aggravate. Yeah. Yeah. And we've already seen, like, in your own company that he can do more. Right, yeah. We we know that this is true, so I don't know. It's a disservice, but uh, he had an accent, and they couldn't dig up a, a good The Something nickname if he was a babyface, so here we are. <laughs> That's fair. So we're about to find out why this is card is three hours and 40 minutes instead oh of three hours. God. Okay. Here, like... <laughs> Uh, so we've talked about worst things on this show. We've got Duggan coming up. We had the Bushwhackers. We had Beefcake. Man, this might take the cake, though, okay. of all I of agree. this. Oh, my God. So it's going to be Piper's Pit. And for a second, I was excited because I forgot what this segment was. I don't think I ever watched this whole segment before because uh, I don't remember suffering in this way. So Brother Love comes out first instead. You want to talk about guys with paint on their face who look worse the, the closer you mm-hmm. look at them. <clears throat> Brother Love, like, the first time I went back into this era, I was kind of excited because I was like, oh, sure, like, this is a guy, he knows how to kind of be a good heel, he knows how to be, like, annoying in the right way. Well, take off the right way part, he definitely knows how to be annoying. <laughs> the more I watch this guy, the less I want to see of him. Um, I kind of hate watching him now, but he's here, and he's just by himself forever, and he's just, like, talking to himself and doing, like, a Piper impression that isn't very good, 
And this is where this is what I was talking about. If the boring chant had been invented in this era, mm. I almost wish it would have been. It could have been spawned in this exact segment because the crowd <laughs> is just dying on this. And this is a crowd that would go along with almost anything. You you have you got your finger on the pulse of this thing, my friend. And <laughs> we've done this both in our time together. Uh, there have been times that we have both had a hard narrative that the other one didn't have. And maybe we came off of it. And there's been times that one of us had a hard narrative and, and the other one you tried to like give space to something else, but eventually came along. And so I tried to be the one when you kind of went super hard on Brother Love at the beginning to say, you know, let's be fair, let's give it some time. But I I feel like I have now given it plenty of time. And I did. I Was Brother Love ever part of some iconic moments in history? Yes, he was. Uh, does that make up for the fact that when you, like Miss Fan says, strip away the makeup, strip away music playing? Number one, music playing while you're while you're doing a segment is a tell, also. Yeah. But strip that away, put him in the ring by himself, talking to himself, and by God, you you get what is there isn't there. Ugh. This segment is an, is an abomination. <laughs> it's a chore of the worst order. Um, okay, so it continues. We get some celebrity, Morton Downey Jr. I've never heard of this guy outside of this segment. I looked him up, and he's this, like, trashy talk show guy. Hooray. Good job. So these are things you shouldn't even be proud of. Like, it shouldn't be a win to get him on your most, like, prestigious show. It really shouldn't. Because, like, later this year, he was, like, completely canceled and not even important anymore. But whatever. He's here now. Finally, Rowdy Piper shows up. Um, but the crowd doesn't even pop that much because I think mm-hmm. they killed the crowd with the fake out and the long segment. Like, there's still a pop. It's Piper. But after coming back for two years, this should have been huge. And it's like, okay, yay, Roddy Piper's here. You know? Yeah. So, it's underwhelming. It, it is. And Piper, I'll say, Piper is so freaking good when he's good. But when he's not, he is not. Yes. And this is not Piper's finest moments. He doesn't know. My note is that Piper has given us some of the best and worst things to ever be on a wrestling screen. (laughs) Oh, and I was so excited to see him back because I feel like before this, he'd given us almost nothing but those great moments that we've seen. But this is definitely a sign of, like, the bad Piper where he's not really invested in what he's doing. He's just, like, riffing and being weird and just – He's so he's, he's a very he's instinctual it. performer, and when his instincts are good, they're amazing, and when they're bad, it's just like painful to watch. Yeah, it's also the, the Hollywood thing because it's another sure. Hollywood actor, yeah. you know, who's kind of coming back to wrestling and kind of not. Like Brock Lesnar will get a major push partly on the fact that the fans are the fans have had it with Hollywood Rock. Yeah, absolutely, you are correct about that. So, like, we need to we need to acknowledge these things because we act like it's just like the. Oh, the, the only narrative. Oh, so it's exposure for the business. What else is it? It's only one good thing. It's nothing else. Well, you know, okay. Yeah. When okay, you start then. to try to leave wrestling, wrestling fans don't like it. And that's the, the story of, of history. So, And you also sometimes find out, and I don't blame them because like, who want, like Mitch fans say he wants to get beat up if you could just go do something easier. But sometimes you see the guys come back. And you kind of get the impression that they don't really like wrestling that much either. And maybe they did and maybe they will later. But you get those moments where it's like, I'm just getting a big payday and look at me. I'm, I'm actually really above this. Right. Well, it's be hard to come back to when you go do a job or you get paid a lot of money and you don't have to like physically break your body every single yeah. night. 
it must be hard to come back and be like, yeah, I'll do this again. Eh, will I though? You know, yeah. I don't know. So like I said, I would never blame anyone for wanting to get out of wrestling. It's an insane business that probably no one should do. But, um, yeah, just speaking as a fan, realistically, guys who try to leave wrestling and then come back, it doesn't always go so well. And because most of the time, too, they're, they're really, they're leaving and coming and leaving and coming. Right, yeah. And so you kind of know wrestling is the, like, oh, didn't, don't have a job this month, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know. Right, like so, if they could have the full-time job somewhere else, that's where they'd be. So, yeah. yeah. And that's fair. Like, I would never blame the wrestler, but as a wrestling fan also – I'm probably going to prefer the person who is there all the time. Yep. Absolutely. So unless that person is brother love, then we would not prefer him to anybody. So yeah, I think we overestimated his talent too, because what talent, you know, like, I mean, WWF, because I think they thought something was going to happen between like, this is Piper just bullying the two of them. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be having sparks and going back and forth with them, but like neither of them can go back and forth with them. So it just comes off like, these two people are idiots, and this guy's a horrible bully. And so, like, I don't like anybody, and I don't like the segment, and I don't know if it was iconic at the time, and I also don't care because, you know, it's not 1989, and we have to still enjoy it now to also be able to say something about it. And, you know, it, it does not stand the test of time. Turning your baby faces into bullies um, is a big danger in wrestling, and it's a danger that they were not very careful about at times. So... Um, yeah, Piper just, he does this weird interview with Brother Love until he rips his kilt off because he wore a kilt because uh, he was making fun of Piper or something. And he runs away in his underwear, and it's the kind of segment that I would, like, cringe and be embarrassed about if any non-wrestling fan saw me watching it. Um, yes. I had to try to explain it. I would be Thank just, you. I would be embarrassed. I would crawl away and never talk about wrestling again. Um, and he stole Liz's attire, I think. I guess. I don't know. Like... I can't tell how weird and creeped out I was because Brother Love, like, the whole thing is Piper, I guess, is trying to, like, look at his dick or something. And, okay, whatever, sure. But then, ugh, I can't even, like, voice it practically. When he rips off Brother Love's skirt, Brother Love screams, I love you, and then runs away. And what human could put this segment together and think that it would... Did, like, did human suit Tony write this? Would this play to the aliens on his planet or something? Like, who could like yeah. this? It's a terrible segment. It's a terrible segment, and it's also WrestleMania. So, like, this is also... You know, half the time you want WrestleMania to be super, like, glamorous and official. Half the time you want it to be, like, a variety show. Half the time you want it to be all wrestling. And, <laughs> you know, it's weird when, like, the biggest show of the year has a segment that you as a wrestling fan who does a podcast on wrestling wouldn't be comfortable watching with other people around. Oh, never. Good God. All right, let's put this to bed. Morton and Piper talk for a while, and it goes on way too long, and eventually we finally get to the reason why this happened. Roddy Piper sprays Morton with a fire extinguisher because he keeps smoking and blowing it in his face, and that that's the punchline to this yeah. This ordeal that we just suffered through. So, all right. There it is, folks. And also, again, it's a three hour and 40 minutes. So just cut Jeez. that from the show. It would be I your first 40 first minutes show. was this segment, so. <laughs> and, uh, no, yeah, we're done. Okay, so Gene Erkeland <laughs> is in the back. Uh, and uh, th- these two following, this is where um, I started to wonder are we seeing something different than where we've been? Because we got this stupid Piper uh, segment that kind of falls flat, followed by 
a whole segment at WrestleMania where Gene Erkeland announces the debut of No Holds Barred, the movie. <laughs> and I will say this. No Holds Barred is a movie that is so bad, I actually find it hilarious. So if you like <laughs> movies that are bad in a funny way, just like unbelievably bad, this movie might actually be for you. It will also be horribly unsuccessful, so this is going to fail on every level. <laughs> yeah, you know, and this I think there's some we talked about the um, at the book the alchemist and, and following the omens and I sure. think some omens are starting to appear. <laughs> uh, what are those omens? Tell me more. I think uh, they're getting too big for their britches here in the WWF. Mm-hmm. They're starting to prefer entertainment and anything that's outside of WWF in ways to the company. Uh, they think that it's only a good thing that Hulk Hogan is going away and making movies or at least presenting it that way and. There are unseen cracks, I think, in both the WWF in this era and Hulk Hogan that will be exploited in time. Yep, yep. This is uh, definitely one sign of Vince McMahon looking to do anything other than wrestling, which we will see repeated many times. And that's another one that you can give the narrative of, well, I mean, it just expands the business. It makes more casual fans and act like there's no consequence to having wrestling fans who give their time and money and then you make a mockery of the things they enjoy. Yep. These these ventures never succeed anyway. They always backfire, but they just keep trying them. So. Absolutely. Sean Mooney is with Donald Trump. He speaks from the front row. He said he uses the same language that he uses today. So uh, rhetoric was pre-politics. Everything is unbelievable. It's packed. The casinos are packed. The arenas are packed. And it's a great thing. And Sean Mooney seems very nervous. And then he goes back. To the broadcast booth. Very strange to watch now. I won't speak further on that. Um, He's also skinny, so that's also strange. Yeah, yeah. Diff- a different look. His hair is actually hair. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. so. laughs> um, and then back to Hollywood, because Jesse Ventura is super duper pissed off because Hulk Hogan has invaded his space and he's going to take over the world with that uh, no-holds-barred Hollywood blockbuster. Oh, boy. Yeah, Ventura, you were in Predator, so you were definitely already in a movie that is better than anything Hogan will make, so calm down. It's all right. So you can like any of those segments like if you want to, but we just went from Piper, who is outside of WWF with a TV co-host, to Gene Oakland doing a full-blown preview of a movie that has nothing to do with wrestling, to Sean Mooney interviewing Donald Trump, to Jesse Ventura storming out of the announce booth because Hulk Hogan is making movies and that's his territory. That's four segments in a row at WrestleMania that have nothing to do with wrestling. Yep, you're not wrong. Oh, so, well, we got to get back to wrestling. We're going to talk about yeah. wrestling again. So, Oh, uh, dear God, I hope I can read my writing because I have 100 Hulk Hogan notes look like on the back oh of this page. Oh, boy. All right, okay. Um, Oakland right. is indeed talking to Hulk Hogan about the main event. Hulk Hogan says a year ago, he and Savage were the best of friends. He said if someone told him he'd be fighting Savage for the title right now, he'd have <laughs> called him a liar. But also, he should have seen it coming the whole time. So, again, he has his cake and he's eating it, too. Well. Yes, I noted that. Cause I think that's also true, though, because that those are facts. Like, Hulk Hogan did know what was going to happen, because not only did he make it happen, but he made it happen so that with a line with WrestleMania five. But if someone had said out loud that it was going to happen, he would have called them a liar. That is brilliantly observed, my friend. You are correct. All of those things are true. 
It took me a moment because I was like, first, oh, God, the other bullshit. And then I was like, or actually, you know, and, and it turns <laughs> out, it, it, you know, fact checks uh, like 100 percent truth. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, so he claims uh, when they were partners, the mania was always ahead of the madness. But also that doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's just talking out of both sides of his mouth this whole time. So uh, Hogan accuses Savage of manipulating Elizabeth and says Savage was never in his corner at all. Hogan, uh, once again, just like last year, threatens to destroy the entire town and kill everyone with an earthquake. But he also says the Hulkamaniacs are survivors. So I guess he assumes they're going to live through this earthquake. And if they don't, well, I guess they weren't true Hulkamaniacs. So (laughs) there you go. The grossest thing Hulk Hogan has done throughout this year is uh, when he pretty much said that the Hulkamaniacs never accepted Hulk, uh, Randy Savage and Hogan was always a champion, and then Mania was a little ahead of the madness. Like those are the moments where you cannot you cannot really forgive him. You can't give him any space because that reveals something you know much much deeper, which is like who does that? Right. Who who talks like that? Who wants that? You know. There is a possibility that if he didn't team up with Randy Savage, that Randy Savage, yeah, he might have had a super long title reign, or I think he might have lost his title yeah, earlier than he did because he probably would have had a lot more feuds and a lot more matches and a lot more heels coming at him. you know. So there's no world that Hulk Hogan could not have gotten back to the world title. And But he just had to go the route of it, trying to expose Randy Savage as not a real babyface, not a real talent, and just destroy him and, and take his his manager away from him and take his fan base away from him and take his belt away from him and leave him writhing on the floor. Like, you know, <laughs> you, had two, you had two directions you could have gone, so, you know. It is gross because by Hogan's own words, they were the best of friends, and yet Hogan reveals so clearly that the entire time he was walking around thinking that he was better – than Randy Savage, that he was ahead of him, that he was the real champion. So what kind of friendship is that, Hulk Hogan? Like, you, you were explicitly trying to little buddy the the world champion yeah. this whole time. So, you know, there's stuff on both sides, but, like, you're not a nice guy. You're not a good person, buddy. And you especially knew. And that's why, oh, God, this is such good storytelling. Because that's why Randy Savage said you were never man enough to ask me for a shot. Because the one way to ruin Randy Savage is to be doing things that feed into his paranoia. So Hulk Hogan knew he was going to break this man. And he knew he was going to break him over time. And he was going to do it in the most insidious way. And then, fair enough, like, maybe you're not a good human being and it's all about money and it's all about being champion but then we got to put up with now the andre the giant narrative comes out randy savage was never hulk hogan's friend he was never in hulk hogan's corner he's not a true believer so we're going to get this religious rhetoric we're going to get again the hulkamaniacs are going to fall into the earth but they're all going to be saved uh, miss van said they're actual believers if not then i guess they deserve to be swallowed up so randy savage like you broke this man and then on top, like this is de- Hogan hasn't beaten Savage, and we're dancing on his grave right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah, dear. It's a gross oh dear. Because, like, best case scenario, and I don't think either of us believe this, but best case scenario, it means Hogan was just walking around like pitying Randy Savage all year, and he didn't ask for a title shot because he felt sorry for him because he thought mm. he was so far ahead of him. So you know, there's no interpretation. 
where Hogan comes out very well in all of this. Like, the greatest Hogamaniac. If you actually examine the words of Hulk Hogan, you've got to admit some things are wrong here. The only thing Hulk Hogan is is a businessman. And if you want to read him for anything else, he will let you do it as long as it benefits. But, you know, the mega powers... It was Randy Savage that wore the, the the words on the outfit. You know, Hulk Hogan is both awful for what he did, but he also kind of didn't really hide it very much. <laughs> True. And the one thing I will give Hulk Hogan, though, in this era, is I feel like this is where the show pretty much, for me, just became a much better show. Like, Hulk Hogan kind of lifted with, like, oh, a bunch of meaning, and then here comes Andre, here comes Jake, here comes Warrior, here comes Rude, here comes Hogan, here comes Savage. But, like, the narr- narratively and story speaking, like, we just get hit with a great injection after those four segments of finally, like, oh, yeah, some shit matters, and there's meaning, and people are after something, and there's something on the line. What's on the marquee? Oh, wrestling, that's right. Let's talk about yeah. that again, if we must. Yeah, no, good stuff. <laughs> WrestleMania, if we must. <laughs> <laughs> Entertainment mania, as we as we should call it. <clears throat> Let's talk about beautiful people who won't be around that much longer and have trouble standing up even at this point. But by God, they're here right now, and life is beautiful, and this air is beautiful, and they remain beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Andre the Giant. Yeah, dear Andre the Giant, and he's taking on a man who I have to admit has become a great nemesis in Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, I I thought that Jake would win you over, despite. Despite his flaws, and he does have flaws that some people might not want to admit, but the things he does well, yeah. and you just talked about injecting meaning, and when Jake Roberts has a chance to inject meaning, very few people inject it better than he does. Yeah, and I think there's something, too, that is a weird thing to say, a very weird thing to say, but I think, maybe not the first match, but I think Andre makes Jake a better wrestler because Jake has, like, Andre's not going to be the one, like, moving around, so it forces right. Jake to be a moving wrestler. Mm. And weirdly enough, I think we get one of Rick Rude's best matches. And the Warrior yeah. is green and injures people and has no talent. But, yeah, I think he made Rude better because, like, all he does is stand around and do bear hugs. And then Rude's like, fuck, I can't do my bear hug. Stand in the ring, so I've got to be the one that moves. And Rude <laughs> kind of works like the baby face, like, like running over Ultimate Warrior at times. So there's some weird things where, like, the, 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 the uh, context... It's like, I, in my mind right now, Jake just punching Andre in the belly like he does a bunch of times. I don't know why it just pleases me in ways I can't even explain. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this match, um, I, it's not a classic match, like, in, in any traditional no. sense. Uh, Andre, yeah, he's um, not super mobile. Jake is Jake. But it, it's, um, you know, it does what it needs to do. You know, it tells you the story that it needs to tell you. And uh, I still enjoy this match, so I think... Uh, it's worth worth giving recognition to that aspect of it, absolutely. One of the greatest pro-wrestling comments of all time, too, is we're talking about who's going to win this match, and Gorilla Monsoon says, have you ever heard of David and Goliath? And Jesse says, yeah, but he used a foreign object. <laughs> That's great. I don't know I missed that. That's a great line. It's it. great on its face just to show what like the world wrestling fans live in, and then it's doubly great because the only way Jake Roberts has a chance is to do what? Is to bring a snake into the ring. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, so good. <laughs> Very good. So, yeah, this, is, this, this angle has been going on for so long, and it's finally uh, basically paid off here. I don't think it'll continue much after this. 
But it's been a great feud. We praised Andre for his uh, selling of the fear of the snake and all that, and uh, Jake for the way he played this game and the interesting way he kind of brought this feud into being. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot to enjoy in this part, I think. Um, yes. Number one, if you like the feud so much, you're probably going to at least li- like the matchup, and I think they do a good job. Jake has never been afraid of Andre. Like, he's not afraid to get in there. He's not afraid to get beat up by Andre. So that adds something to the match. Yep. Jake's lack of fear and Andre's fear uh, makes all of this better. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. Ah, so so the match goes on, and what is this is where Ventura says Monsoon is getting worse than McMahon. Um, I can't remember what makes him say it exactly. Do you remember the moment where that happened? I know it's probably a bunch of the shit where like the snake is like, Girl Monsoon is making the argument the whole match that Jake Roberts not only has a right to bring the snake in, but like it only <laughs> makes sense because Andre has a manager. <laughs> right, like that makes a difference. So. Oh, man. It might be when Andre gets trapped in the ropes because he does that classic yes. spot as well. And uh, Monsoon, yeah, he will try, he'll try to justify anything for the baby faces tonight. And Ventura does call him on it, rightfully so. I, I think Monsoon tries to justify Jake Ross could bring the snake in because Bobby Heenan helped untie Andre from the ropes, even though Andre was in the ropes for more than five seconds, which itself is illegal. Right, yeah, he's not supposed to be in the ropes, so I don't know. Yeah, Monsoon is definitely out of pocket, as you like to say, in this yeah. match. So. Uh, we go along to the finish, which is interesting in a number of ways. Ted DiBiase comes out to help mm. his uh, former Megabucks partner, and I, I, I don't know if there was some specific thing which prompted that, but it's a nice piece of continuity anyway. I like when allies survive from one storyline to another. Uh, he tries to run off with Damien. Jake goes after Ted. Andre decides to choke Big John Studd, who is the referee for some reason. I have no idea why. Um... And uh, the match just sort of falls apart and gets thrown out. Jake comes back with Damien, throws him in the ring. Andre flees. And uh, now we have Jake versus DiBiase set up, which should be interesting and much more worthwhile than Ted versus Beefcake, obviously. Yeah, yeah it, is, it kind of breaks down. It's, again, pick your poison. Like, Do you want a company that's so well-booked that you can see everything that's going to happen a mile away? Mm. Or do you want a company that's more free-flowing, character-based, but then there's times that things just don't make sense, which is kind of Big John Studd's such a big star that we give him the Royal Rumble. But all we do add that is make him a referee. But then the referee becomes more important than the match, you know. So, you <laughs> let's, know, pick, let's take a I moment to be have too much chaos. Mm-hmm. Let's take a moment to be grateful because I, I don't know. I haven't read this. This is just my felt sense. I have a feeling they wanted to run Andre versus Stud at WrestleMania, and that's why they gave him the win. And then they realize, oh, well, Stud can barely move any better than Andre, and even we can't put a match like this on. So so they, they relegated him to this other spot, and I think it's a better show for it. So let's just be grateful about that for a second. I agree a thousand percent. Uh, I don't want to see that matchup. Uh, <laughs> no. And, you know, I don't know if Andre would even have had it, but Andre and Jake was the right choice. Absolutely, yeah. Pay off a feud that deserved it, for sure. It's also blowing my mind that Andre and The Undertaker, like, in my mind, their worlds are further apart than they are, but Undertaker is coming, and Andre is not yet going, and there's something that doesn't sit right in my mind about that. Yeah, I think they will overlap slightly. Will they? (sighs) Does Andre leave in 90 or 91? I don't know. They will overlap a little bit at some point, so yeah, it is strange to think that that could be true. 
And what is the pinpoint in the WWF world where both Andre and The Undertaker exist together? Yeah. That's wild. Okay. Weird. Undertaker just doesn't make any sense, and in good ways, but I don't know what happened. Where it feels like almost 1990 or 91 could have been the pivot to the new generation. Yeah. But instead, they're like, we'll go completely the other way, and we're going to go. <laughs> we're just going to, like, we'll grab a dead man, and we're going to do this, that, and the other. You know, I'm thankful that we got that one last, like, 90s weirdo push before we yeah. kind of did away with all of this. I mean, there's going to be plenty of weird gimmicks in the new generation. Yes. Um, so let's not <laughs> say there won't be. But, yeah, like, uh, you'll come to a time when we'll have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart on top, and they'll just be, like, humans, like who they yeah. are. So, Whew. all right. So we go backstage. I'm sorry, anything else on that last match? Nah, go, uh, go ahead. Go backstage. Human Suit is talking to Sensational Sherry. Uh, Sherry makes fun of Rockin' Robin for his singing, which is not unfair. You know, it's it's accurate. Uh, Sherry does give us that little tease of what's to come, because she goes after Miss Elizabeth. That she's more beautiful than Liz makes fun of her for the uh, mega powers blowing up. So that will be very portentous. The next time on our next episode, I believe we will have Sherry and Savage together. So it's definitely worth checking out. That's amazing. Okay, good stuff. This is a Hydra Dalmatians Disney villain uh, <laughs> promo. She sends a message that you can just feel cutting through the rest of the year and the WWF. Uh, I also know from the podcast that Tony Schiavone is a pervert of perverts, so I see him differently. Like when he's back there with Sherry and other people, hey, look at his face when he's, when he's first on camera and when he first looks at Sherry. Like it's weird what the things that you can never see until someone gets gets their own podcast. So you know, I did not know that. That's interesting. <laughs> Tony's a wild man. I'll tell you that much. I think he likes to be dominated too. So. <laughs> Just for, just for your knowledge. <laughs> I thought his only fetish was the oven. What do I know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, Tony's, Tony's got quite a legacy. He's got quite a story these days. So He does. He does. Um, go to the ring for a nice uh, little filler tag match. You you had something to say about this. I don't have a lot to say. It's uh, Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man teamed up. Poor Valentine. He always gets paired up with kind of the worst of the worst. Um, they're fighting the Hart Foundation. It's a fine match. I could watch Greg Valentine all day, I think, but uh, I don't have too much to say about this one. I don't have a lot to say. I just think that the, I think the Hart Foundation is evolving. Brett is very much becoming I, almost more IC Brett than uh, tag team Brett, and I sure. I partly wonder if he's looking around at the Rockers and the Brainbusters and others and figuring that he better get his shit together <laughs> because he I, you know Brett Hart sees everything, and then you know. I think even Honky, like Honky and Greg Valentine make good opponents for Bret Hart and Night Hart, you know, so it's kind of old school and new school in that account. It's a lot of Bret Hart. Uh, I believe the Hart Foundation, uh, yeah, they get the win. The ending is abrupt and weird, and they grab the megaphone and uh, get the win. Uh, it's interesting to call a Hart Foundation uh, matchup in the week where Bret Hart has just spoken out about the Hart Foundation and Jim Neidhart. Did you read those comments? No, what did he say? He is a big fan of Jim Neidhart because Jim Neidhart um, always got it. Like, Jim Neidhart did everything he told him to do when he told him to do it. So <laughs> he's a fan of Neidhart. That's, that's why he doesn't like Davey Boy, because he yeah. forgot everything he was supposed to do. So I think we know what Bret Hart uh, likes and dislikes at this point in terms of the people around him. So. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and you get that. Like, there's, there's no shock. 
No. Uh, and that, but it's, it's also another way for Bret Hart to say that if you liked anything about the Hart Foundation, he was the one that you know controlled everything that happened. And I like, mean, apart from Owen, I actually believe him. So. <laughs> yeah. So that there's that, and then uh, we move on from there. I think Warrior and Rude might be up next. They are. They are that Intercontinental Title that Bret Hart will come to uh, not for two years yet. So we'll we'll see what the Hart Foundation does in that time. Um. So, yeah, you, you gave a little bit of praise to this match, and I, I'm going to go along with you uh, if I'm reading that correctly. I think this match was laid out so carefully, like Pat Patterson might as well have been in the ring, like leading <laughs> Ultimate Warrior around by his hand at times, but uh, they really they play to their strengths as best they can, and I don't think it's a really great match. I don't think it's even a really no. good match, but by no. Warrior standards up to this point, it's damn near a miracle because he he hasn't been anywhere close to this before tonight. Um, so merely to the fact that they got to a match, which is, like, fine, perfectly fine, um, is impressive. And I do give credit to Rick Rude, who we've been hard on, but he works hard here, which he usually doesn't do, in my opinion. He does some big bumping. Like you said, he really kind of has to step up and do more of the work. Um so, yeah, this is not a match I would go out of my way to recommend, but if you put a gun to my head and said, name five Warrior singles matches that are worth watching, this would be on the list. So. Okay, so I think this might be the only one on the list so far. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. So I can't you think maybe of any we'll other that, to maybe. this point. Maybe throughout this series we'll try to pick five. <laughs> you know, because it's going to be hard. Real quick, though. I will I will throw my comments in, but this is just so good I want to read it because this will matter in about three or four years. It won't matter today, but here's a little Bret Hart for you. Tag team partners all end up hating each other. They all hate each other, even brothers. Real brothers hate each other a lot of the time. The Rujo brothers don't talk to each other even today. There's a lot of that because you're chained together at the ankle. A lot of the times one brother or one partner feels like the other partner isn't carrying their end of the load, that kind of stuff. Uh, there gets to be jealousies and things like that. But for me and Jim, the Anvil, not only did we never have an argument, we never had any coarse word with each other or a disagreement about anything wrestling related. He was always of the understanding that I knew what I was doing, that he would never argue with me about anything. I would say to him, this is what we're doing. And it was never a question. He always had my back. He was always on side with me, with everything I was doing. <laughs> So just just for the fun of it, I just want us to get started to get some in, some of Bret Hart's mentality before we get into these years because I will have a lot of good to say about Bret Hart in a lot of ways, but we're not going to have an era where like other people are all monsters and Bret Hart is somehow just this wonderful human being. <laughs> well, I'll say you know if it worked for Nightheart, then good for them. They probably had a good relationship, unlike Bret with most of his brothers. Um, I'm yeah, sure he was thinking of that at times. So. It's just amazing how one man can say all tag teams hate each other because, like, one is better than the other and there's jealousy and everything. And then pretty much say, like, we both were so happy because we both knew I was better than him and I knew what I was doing and he wasn't that good, but he understood it. You know, like, if anyone ever dared put him on that side of any story, like, he would, like, there would be podcasts for months. And these people are all passed away. Like, you get the Davy Boy stories like, oh, he's a drug addict. And, like, I couldn't even, like, get him to remember the match. I had to I had to make up the match and I had to carry it. And all of these things might be true. But, like, they're so harsh. Yeah. And, like, you can't even slightly criticize Bret Hart without him losing his mind. So it's just just a little thing, fans. 
put it in your pocket. Put it in your pocket, and we'll come back in the 90s because <laughs> there are things to be said for later. Yeah, yeah, he's a sensitive person. And, yeah, praising your partner for being smart enough uh, not to be jealous of you, even though you're better, is not the best look I ever heard of. So. He could have easily right. said, like, I was a great technical wrestler, and he was, like, a great power wrestler, and we yeah. blended those things, you know. Well, I'll say this. I feel like Bret Hart always says what he believes is the truth. You know? Yes. So at least he's honest. Um, I agree with that a thousand percent. <laughs> Bret Hart has never, you know, what we will get into is the, the, the closeness to reality for what he believes is true. Right. Yeah. So Warrior and Rude. I like that Rude, again, he had to move around because he's not like the bigger guy. And like Warrior stole his like rest hold by doing the stupid bear hug. So... <laughs> Yeah, Rude had to do other yeah. things. And I think Rude also understood more than the Warrior that this is a coming out for both of us. And, like, w- Rude can contextualize the potential of what that means. And Ultimate Warrior probably just thinks, like, well, what else would they be doing but, like, shooting me up the card? <laughs> I gotta say, I feel like it, it's a very low bar to understand something more than the Warrior. That's yeah. my impression of him anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this is, this is Rick Rude working overtime. I won't say Ultimate Warrior didn't put in any work, but like I said, I, everything about what he does screams that someone like spoon-fed this to him, and that's just just my impression. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will come out and show that Ultimate Warrior was like a brilliant Randy Savage strategist. Nope. I doubt it, but um, yeah, so it's the best Warrior match we've seen uh, by many degrees so far, and uh, even though he's still in there doing bear hugs and looking very sloppy at times, still... He's, he's at least progressed to a level where we thought maybe he would eventually get there. So. Yeah. Uh, Jesse and Harris says it doesn't take much to confuse the ultimate warrior. You know. <laughs> a little shoot comment for you there, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, it is what it is. Warrior has been said, like, when the, he was with Sting, I think I mentioned this, Sting would go train more because he realized, like, we're not that good and we got an opportunity to get good. Ultimate warrior skipped all that and didn't have any time for it. And... You might want to say fair enough, like he's a big guy, he's getting his push, why does he have to work overtime? Well, by the time we're done with the segment, we, we might understand why that under not hurting people might be part of what should come with the package. Yeah, I would like to think if you look over Ultimate Warrior's career, we can all agree he would have benefited from a little more training and attention to detail and general care about people around him, but... Uh, all right, so we, we get to the end of this match. It's a perfectly okay, perfectly fine yeah. match, you know, much better than we expected, I think. Uh, Heenan sweeps out Warrior's feet while he's trying to do a suplex. Rick Rude lands on top of him. Heenan holds down Warrior's feet. Rick Rude gets the three. New Intercontinental Champion Bobby Heenan finally has a title, which warms my heart, but my heart is immediately chilled mm. by Warrior grabbing Bobby Heenan and doing just a catastrophically sloppy military press on Heenan, a military press that gives every military press a bad name, dropping him awkwardly, leaving Heenan injured. Heenan is a guy who has to go wrestle later tonight. Heenan is a guy who will wear his freaking weasel suit, will bring it out of uh, its retirement to try to get Warrior even more over, and will just do everything he can to help this man, and Warrior just drops him like a sack of shit. And then makes fun of him for getting cancer later. So fuck the Ultimate Warrior, one of the worst people that you could ever possibly have the misfortune of meeting. Yeah, you said everything uh, that needs to be said about the person of the Ultimate Warrior. My only two notes is 
I think that's a cool ending because like you got to get warrior pinned somehow, and so you know like the suplex, the the ropes, the holding down at the foot. It also kind of mirrors Sergeant Slaughter, where scepter over the head on the ropes. So warrior warrior really should stay away from the ropes if he wants to win his stupid matches. Mm. Um, and then point number two, and this is a real point. There's a lot of things in life that are just hideous on sight. And you can't say much about them because it was the error and nobody's getting hurt. And one of the grossest things about this error, and it's been an error that we've loved, but the grossest thing about it is whether you want to say baby faces or people on the side of one line. Mm. They cannot lose a fucking match without misbehaving, having no dignity, beating up everybody, grabbing their scissors, grabbing their snake, grabbing their two-by-four, grabbing their chain, doing whatever it is. Like, they cannot just lose a match. It's no dignity. It's ugliness. But who does it really hurt? They're just, like, you know, doing a little thing that's almost part of the match. Well, guess what? If you didn't have an error and a culture where these idiots uh, could not lose without misbehaving... Then you don't have to have this stupid little segment. Rick Rude can actually win the belt. The Warrior can fucking lose. We saw his foot being held down, so we understand he got screwed. Say it ten times in the announcements. I think the fans will get it. But if you did not have a culture where a babyface can't lose the match without beating people up, hello, Ronnie Garvin, on the same show, then you don't get Ultimate Warrior military pressing Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan doesn't get injured. So how about that? Just get rid of the utter stupidity that a babyface can't lose without acting like that. And Bobby Heenan never gets injured. Mm. <sighs> yeah, it's very unfortunate. And the sad thing is, Heenan is so willing to bump like a crazy person for anybody who's beating him up. Like, he's the most generous bumper you could hope to meet. And yet still, you know, you just you have to do it in this particular way. You have to do it in a way that shows that you are bad at your job and uh, objectively bad at your job because, like, the most important thing is not to injure people. So, well, ah, it's just unfortunate. He'll get his next WrestleMania. (laughs) (laughs) But doesn't it just feel like that was one where you would see Heenan hold the foot down and then Rude and Heenan, like, just run away like cowards but celebrating that they finally got a belt? Yeah. Could have easily done, I don't know, WrestleMania in this era tries to make the fans happy at every interaction, and beating up Keenan will definitely make them happy. So I agree, babyfaces often act out. I get why it happened. If it had only been executed with an ounce of uh, competency, then we would be having a different conversation. The announcers can't really even announce it either, because they're in the middle of trying to have this thing where, like, Bobby Heenan finally has a championship, but he's also getting beat up in the ring. So they're trying to call Rick Rude becoming a champion, Warrior losing, Bobby Heenan finally having someone, and Warrior beating him up. Like, four things are going on in the matter of, like, a second. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little too much. I'd have to agree. We go up to another matchup, uh, which... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, but... Okay, I, all right. Bad News Brown's going to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and uh, I had a moment where I sent a text message and I looked up, and uh, but we'll get to that because we're not there yet. All right, Bad News Brown versus Hacksaw. Not to me, that text message wasn't, so I got to hear about that in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, I love Bad News Brown, but like most Duggan matches, this is a match that didn't need to happen. You could just send him out there by himself, and you could have shouted ho or walked around <laughs> and not been affected by anything, and it would have just been the same outcome. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they get quickly disqualified because Duggan gets his 2x4. 
Bad News Brown gets a chair and they kind of like smash him against each other and then they just throw it out. So this is a waste of Bad News Brown at WrestleMania. It's a filler match that didn't even need to happen. So I don't know what we're doing here. I think in theory they they are good opponents because they they're both brawlers, but you know I'm tired too. <laughs> that theory demands they... that Jim Duggan be good at brawling, which yeah. I don't think he is. So. So I thought the match was just starting, so I sent a text or two, and then I just look up, and, like, one man has a two-by-four, and one has a chair, and they're, like, <laughs> slinging them into each other. And I, to this day, have no clue how that escalated. Yeah, exactly the way you would expect. Yeah. Um, I was, was like, just... yeah, Bad News Brown, I think, is the last person who would put up with uh, Duggan's bullshit, so the fact that it ended <laughs> quickly is probably for the best. Oh, dear. Okay, so that that's a super quick one, and then the next one is going to be super quick, too. Red Rooster uh, tells Gene Oakland that uh, he's going to meet the teacher and teach him something he never taught me, how to lose. And this is a quote. He says, it will be a great day in the barnyard. Yep, and he crows and he makes puns, and uh, you're, you're a limited person, Terry Taylor. They were right all along. But I will say this. Terry Taylor sucks. I never saw a match of his that I liked. Apparently he's a huge racist in life and all these other things. So fuck Terry Taylor. But I will say I was reading a little bit about this match and I read that Bruce Pritchard, his talking point about all this is that this gimmick failed because Terry Taylor didn't commit to it enough. And holy crap, if you want to talk about just a complete destruction of your own credibility, Terry Taylor... Uh, he sucks, but holy crap, he couldn't have committed to this thing harder. Yes. Uh, I, I read a comment. He couldn't have committed harder if he laid an egg. You know, yeah. somebody <laughs> said that, and it was true. Because he is like, he's got the stupid hair, and he's walking like a stupid rooster, and he's crowing, and he's making the barnyard puns, and like, he's doing everything he can to make this abysmal gimmick work. So if you cannot stand up and take responsibility and say, yes, this was a bad gimmick, we couldn't have done it, then you don't have any credibility left because you're a liar and you were just lying and your lips are moving and that's how we know you're lying. So, Jesus. Yeah. I will say I'm not even a Terry Taylor fan, but I have liked him less for how much he has engaged the gimmick. Like, <laughs> right. it blows my yeah. mind what he does. And, and I, it's like, why the fuck would you do that? I'd ra- I would rather be fired than try to make that gimmick work. And then, secondly... Like, everything you just said has proven true, and that's part of the reason. Like, I used to love that podcast, and then I don't listen to it anymore. But there's, like, two different things. There's, ter- like, Bruce Pritchard lying, which is bad enough, and then the whole thing being a gimmick. So, like, one of the fucking gimmicks that they do is, like, uh, Conrad's always like, well, of course, Dusty Rhodes had to be, like, a mockery. You had to be, that had to be a rib. You had to be making fun of him. And there's a box of gimmicks, and, like, like, all these things, and then Bruce Pritchard's always like, yeah, we were never making fun of anyone. We only tried to get them over. We're only trying to do the best by them. So I think there's both a truth of him defending WWF in a way that shows him to be a liar, and then there's also a thing that the whole thing is turned into nothing but gimmicks, and like neither of them are human beings like telling their actual thoughts most of the time. Yeah, no no kidding. Um, I do not partake in wrestling podcasts in general, and that would be low on the list for all the reasons you mentioned. So It hurts me because when I was not a wrestling fan, it was something that got me back in because I, finally at least someone was talking about eras that I enjoyed. Right. I think there probably was a time when maybe it was a little more authentic, yes. um, at least from what I hear. And again, I really haven't listened to very much at all of the show, but uh, we have far passed beyond that time. And you can't. Yeah, there's nothing there worth listening to. From Nobody needs that. We're not dumb. 
We don't need someone who's not even in the business and someone who half the time is not in the business, like working us and acting like they're they're somehow better than us. Like when Bruce Pritchard didn't have a job, like you and I are just like I said it in this episode, like we're two people who watch wrestling and do a podcast. Like I'm not in the business now and Conrad's not in the business, even if he like announces on a show or something. And so, like, don't don't gimmick and work people when they just want to hear conversations about things that they care about. Right. And just like you, you've talked many times, you started the series in many ways just to look at Randy Savage. You were very invested in Randy Savage. Guess what? Last year at WrestleMania four, you were like, hey, Randy Savage wasn't that hot mm-hmm. at this show. You were able to actually admit that something was different than the way you came in thinking about it. And, man, if you can't even try to do that, like, if you're going to defend the Red Rooster and you're going to defend, like, (laughs) Triple H being a racist and then whooping Booker T's ass at WrestleMania and all these other, like, just indefensible things, then, yeah, who would listen to you? Who would even bother trying to listen to a person who couldn't even admit the slightest thing, which is the most obvious thing in the world? So, I don't know. It's just dumb. I wish we would hold every space to that standard. Sure. You know, I used to say, and kind of joking but kind of serious, I don't even believe you're telling the truth till I've heard you contradict yourself. <laughs> right, because that's what real people do. Yes. Real things are complicated. You have to admit more than one fact, and those facts don't always seem to go together completely, but they're both true, and that's called being alive and not being <laughs> a fucking shill. So. Yes. Please, God, if anybody is listening, if you hear anything, hear that conversation. And... <laughs> Probably in my brain, because I haven't watched this era in a long time, when I was saying, like, I really want to watch Randy Savage, one of the easiest things that would pop in my head would be WrestleMania 4, because that's one of the bigger moments. Mm. And and we're going to get to it very quickly, but the one thing that Hulk Hogan, I wanted Hulk Hogan to show some shame or some sorrow for what he did, and he didn't. But also, there's something very ugly about that. But I also think there's something very kind about that, because even in the ugliness, I think he might have set Randy Savage free. So that's a complicated conversation because life is complicated. And we'll get to that. But before life is complicated, Bobby Heenan has to wrestle a rooster. <laughs> yeah, so this there, there's nothing to this, really. Heenan comes down. He was banged up I, like just minutes ago by the Warrior. So he is looking very rough. Um, he still yes. does a couple big bumps because he's Bobby Heenan, and by God, he's going to do his best, but they end this in less than a minute, so I don't know, like, let's never see Terry Taylor again for the first thing, that would be great if this would just be it for him, but man, like, they did a big angle to build this up, Bobby Heenan is always over in matches because of, like, the way he bumps and the way he engages the crowd, and this just turned out to be nothing, so it's it's a shame, it's a waste, it makes me sad, but uh, it is what it is, and it's over before you can blink, practically. Yeah. I just, the only thing that came out is I forget that Bobby Heenan actually dresses like Andre the Giant in there. <laughs> There's something beautiful about that. <laughs> he does. That, and I really, I'll highlight again, even having been injured like 10 minutes before, Bobby Heenan still is doing some big bumps in this match. So, like, God bless him. He's trying his best. And they're bumps that affect the upper body, so think about that. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Tough man. Tough man. Beautiful stuff. Bobby Heenan is always wonderful. Good thing Vince McMahon was not in a bad mood or a bad era and didn't fire him for, like, only wrestling (laughs) a little bit hurt, you know. So these are good days. Bobby Heenan goes back, and he is still 
the manager of a champion now, so that talking point needs to go to hell where it belongs. Absolutely. Uh, can never say it again. He will have more champions before the year is up, so God bless him. That's something, and that's also amazing about this era because he's about to have this run of champions, and earlier in the same show, yeah. uh, Girl Monsoon was saying, well, well, uh, Jimmy Hart doesn't have any uh, champions, and Jesse Ventura is like, but he's head champions, and this stuff is not easy, and it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, yeah. Before Heenan, he he went through a long drought, but he will have multiple tag champions, multiple intercontinental champions, all this stuff before all was said and done. And I will still always credit him for being Andre's manager, so that it wasn't even true in the first place. Yes, all of that, and he will manage. Uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, who will have both the Real World's title and then the secondary, I guess they're telling us, WWF title. So. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay, so Gene Arkelin is with Elizabeth, who he, I think he, the way we're saying Rick Rude worked, or Pat Patterson worked Ultimate Warrior through that matchup, Gene is trying to work Liz, I think, through this segment. That <laughs> you know, How do you feel? It must be complicated. You must feel like this. I'm sure it's like this. this is what and then this Liz stuff oh, fucking angers me, like... Yep. She's going to be in a neutral corner to support both men and pray that nobody gets injured. <laughs> all right. First of all, I got to say again, every Liz interview is like this. Like, this is the. She struggles so much to do even like a short promo. I don't even know what to say about it. It's very strange to me. But putting that aside, here's Liz. She's going to like support both men, basically, when she should be supporting neither. For God's sakes, Liz, have some respect for yourself. One guy is an abusive partner, and the other one is just complete manipulator who won't give a crap about you two seconds after this match is over. So, for God's sake, run away from both of these people and just, like, live your life. You'll have a better life, probably. Jesus. Yeah. That's one thing. This is one of the greatest stories of all time, but I am so exhausted with all three of these. Like, they needed to explode, and they all need to leave each other alone. (laughs) So that's a weird thing to have to say for something you like so much. But uh, Tony Schiavone, for some reason I have a Tony note, and then uh, Sean Mooney is interviewing fans, and I think 9 out of 10 say Hogan's going to win, and he's like, we got a split decision. Back to you guys. <laughs> oh, boy. We get to the match, and per your point, you mentioned this, um, and I had forgotten all about this until you mentioned it, but Savage was hospitalized with an infection, prior to this match and yes. supposedly checked himself out of the hospital to come like and just do this match. So, I mean, that's something, honestly, he probably shouldn't have done, but, you know, he did it, and, you know, he's tough for doing it, and people shouldn't really do this to themselves, but, like, you would never know it from his performance. He gives a great showing here. Yeah, he was having infection drained, like, at the show, I think. And, oh, Jesus. And you want to think about the greatest symbol of a year of the mega powers and Hulk Hogan manipulating Randy Savage and gaslighting Randy Savage and making Randy Savage feel like he wasn't worth anything. Randy Savage will come to this matchup with Hulk Hogan with an injury where in the elbow of his right arm, where he does his finishing hold. Mm. There's something about the fact that Hulk Hogan has now turned every single thing that is Randy Savage against Randy Savage. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't know if you give Hogan credit for the infection, but yeah, it seems like everything has turned on Savage that was supposed to be supporting him, his friend, his manager, even his own body. I will say this, too, and it's hard to say this because Hogan deserves a lot of blame. We've already given him some, but a lot of times in my life, when every, sometimes you try hard, and you, that's, this is fair, you work hard, and every fucking thing goes wrong. That's adulthood in life, and it 
fucking sucks. Yep. But there's also times where when everything is going wrong, I really realize like I'm also making some decisions in my life that whether they're easy or whether they're comfort or whether they're just fear, like the real me is no longer showing up. And I think Randy Savage neutralized himself in a way and froze himself in a way that not only when stuff comes against him, it's one after another, but he doesn't really know what to do about it because he hasn't been Randy Savage for so long. Mm, yeah, very true. Um, I def- you, You've already mentioned this. And I don't know if we're going to have exactly the same idea, but I was saying in this match, one of my early notes is maybe Savage will be better off now that he is freed from the idea that he can be a champion like Hulk Hogan. And I said that before he even lost the belt, because I think Savage, even he must know, he has no hope of like becoming like Hogan, which I really think was his goal at one time. I think you are a million percent right. And I think you were the first one who said this a long time ago, but I was thinking maybe Savage will be better when this is over. No, Randy Savage has an infection and a fever, and Randy Savage knows as much as anyone else that Randy Savage is going to lose this matchup. And I think Randy Savage is already free. And Randy Savage, this is Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. This is Randy Savage, the wrestler. This is Randy Savage, the mover. This is Randy Savage. This is not Randy Savage pretending like he's a baby face. I think someone said that. This is how you can be right and wrong about everything, because no, I still don't think Randy Savage was faking it. I think Miz Fan is right, but Randy Savage was faking it, because it was not Randy Savage, and it was never going to be Randy Savage. And this man is mo- maybe it's because he's got a fever, but he is moving around so smooth. It's the space element is back. The fire is back. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Randy Savage is unleashed to me in this one. I think uh, the only person Savage ever lied to in all of this is to himself. And he told Mm. him, hey, I could be something different than what I am. And God, you know, sometimes people can't change, but it's hard. And sometimes they can't. And I don't know. Savage tried. And, uh, you know, the results we saw for ourselves, we saw he dampened Randy Savage. And uh, Randy Savage is not going to let that keep happening to him. That is the word, man. A dampened, oh, jeez. Not only does that do away with the fire, but, man, like, his shoulders drooped. Like, he was shorter by three or four inches. Like, you know, not, it just wasn't. He was a dampened, dampened Randy Savage. And, man, it's kind of fitting then that he comes out with a fever because the fire is back. The space element is back. The I am going to, like, Hulk Hogan is going to win this match in the things that are Hulk Hogan. And Randy Savage is going to win this match in the things that are Randy Savage. They did something as opponents they never did as partners. Yeah, so true. All the time the Mega Powers was together, I feel like we rarely, if ever, saw Randy Savage be Randy Savage. We just saw a mini Hogan, you mm. know, all this time. Here we finally see the actual Randy Savage up against Hulk Hogan. And the result is very good, you know? Like, I, you, you couldn't say probably this is like the greatest match from like purely an in-ring perspective, but it's a match that's very effective at what it wants to do. It tells you the right story. It has the right energy. It's a very good match. It's exactly what the match is supposed to be. And it is carried on the back and the wings of Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like I said, if you hadn't 
reminded me. I never would have even thought that he was um, sick at this time. You know, he's a guy who probably shouldn't have even been out here. So credit to him. You know, I'm a fan of wrestlers taking care of themselves first and foremost. But, you know, if you're going to go out, you got to do your best. And he did incredibly here. I also realized Hulk Hogan, when he comes out, is already pointing at Randy Savage. And then he does the ear cup with the fans. But that's his rhetoric on display. Like, come out already pointing. Like, you can be the one who's wrong about everything. But if you point first, then you're you're angry first. And if you're more angry, then you must have more passion. And you must be more justified. And you must be on the right side of the argument. So I really kind of got what that stupid pointing that he does is because it's another symbol that directs everyone into who is what and how you should react. That's the one thing. And the second thing is it only works if someone's standing still. And it worked during the whole time of the Hulkamania are the mega powers because Randy Savage is standing still. But if you're pointing, you can't point at a moving object. And so he points when he's coming to the ring. But the minute they're in the ring, Randy Savage becomes a moving object. And he's not standing there for you to point or to thumbs up or thumbs down him anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Savage regains so much of his energy and his fire through this feud. And uh, like I said, when we were watching the promos building up to it, Randy Savage seemed set to explode all on his own, like Mega Powers be damned. He was just exploding from his own internal combustion engine. You definitely start to see that here. Yeah, he kept uh, basking in the booze. And I just said, and like Savage is done with Liz. He's done with the fans. He's done with the past year of his life. He's done with even being champion. And... You know, that's that authority again. And it's a weird thing because I can see any human being who goes from being a heel to a baby face. Like there's this power now. Like every time I lift my hands, the fans cheer me. But the fans are now dominant. And the fans get to say like, well, we made you and we also preferred Hulk Hogan. So like you are now passive in your own life. Whereas now like he's holding his hands up and they're booing him. And he's saying, no, well, I'm still orchestrating. Like I held my hands up and you booed me. So who's still in charge here? Yeah, this is definitely Randy Savage uh, laying dynamite, lighting the fuse, and letting it blow up the foundations of his life up to this point. Because, yeah, he's going to lose, he'll lose everything. He's lost Liz, he's lost uh, his friend, you know, he'll he'll lose his title. And he will embark from here till his uh, first retirement on one of the most, like, the times when he's acting out the most in his whole career. You know, when you lose everything... You don't have anything left to lose, so we're going to really see a Savage who is just uh, really, really out of hand at times. God, that's so true. Those are the great stories that we like reading and watching, but we're scared to death of them in life because who in the world wants to lose everything? God, yeah. You know, but yet at the same time, there is a psychological thing that when you lose something, it really does happen where somewhere you're like, these things don't have power over me anymore, and who am I really? And they're going to make a Randy Savage. Like, you you got your year over Randy Savage, but I got a feeling that you're going to pay some prices for what you did to Randy Savage. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everyone involved here is going to pay some prices, I think. Yes. You know, nobody is done paying for this this whole situation. As they should. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, the whole gimmick is the mega powers explode. So, you are the top two or three in the company – and the fans like you the most, and the company's built around you. So that means if you explode, you're blowing up everything and everybody. Mm. You should not get a pass for that. And in real life, you don't. none of us get a pass for anything. Really good and bad, there's consequences, because 
we're humans that know death. We understand death is coming and it's coming. So there are consequences to everything. And then like we can build extra ones on top of them for our behaviors. And these are people who have been behaving poorly for a long time. Absolutely so. And their behavior uh, will not stop in this match. As we continue the action, Liz is unable to stay in her neutral corner, as she said she would. At one point, Savage gets tossed out, and Liz comes over to him. Savage warns her away with some violent motions. Hogan uh, picks up Savage. He wants to throw him into the ring post. Liz stops him. Savage drops down behind Hogan and shoves him into the post, very close to Liz. Oh, man. Liz goes to check on Hogan. Savage pulls her away. He grabs her by the chin. He's acting like a jerk. And finally, we get what, to me, is maybe the only babyface moment of this entire match as uh, Earl Hebner orders Liz to <laughs> leave ringside. <laughs> this is the true only heroic uh, action in this entire storyline here. <laughs> I agree. I popped for that. I didn't expect it, and I popped for it because, my God, if someone ever deserved to be kicked out, away, kicked out of ringside, it was her. <laughs> and, again, Earl Hebner, in a way, did for Liz what I would later say Hogan kind of did for Savage. Like, just put them out of their misery. And <laughs> because... By God, you have no business being down there. You know, no. Savage is done with you. And I don't think you and Hogan ever hit. I don't even understand what the connection supposedly is with Hogan and Liz because unless it's hurting Randy Savage, I don't understand. It's not there. Right. You know, so I don't know. We'll see. You understand well, I don't know it perfectly. It sounds like to me, you know, yes. Hogan, his only interest in Liz, I call him, he's a huge manipulator. And uh, he wouldn't give a crap about Liz five seconds after Savage was out of the picture. And I think history will completely bear that up. Yeah, because I still I need to understand Savage is going to go full on heel and he's going to join Sherry and Hogan's world champion. So now your decision is made. So why are you and Hogan not together for the rest of his career? <laughs> He'll have Jimmy Hart for years, so he's not above having a manager. Yep. Nope. Absolutely. So, uh, well, we know exactly what the reason is. <laughs> Uh, oh, so man, this is interesting. Um, Ventura praises the decision that Liz be sent away from ringside. But I'm sitting here now wondering, this just occurred to me, should he have done so? We've said so many times that Liz is like the fuel for Macho Man. And when she leaves, like it is not long until he goes down here. So without Liz being there, without her kind of being on the line, which we know mm -hmm. is the way Savage likes it the most, <laughs> is that the final nail in the coffin of Randy Savage's title reign? That's a hell of a read. I did that one didn't even come to me, and you're right. You probably can trace it, trace it straightway to Savage's last desperate attempt, you know, and Hulk Hogan hulking up, and Savage is done with his, you know, hulking up because he had, he no longer has his weird Hulkamaniac that he, you know. Well, they have the same relationship though, because Hogan's just as abusive to uh, the Hulkamaniac. So yeah, but they don't leave not yet anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> And they can't get kicked out, so that's a shame, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunate. Um, Hamner can't send them all away. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Savage, I, I, if Liz hadn't gone to the back, mm. I think Savage and Hogan would still be fighting because I don't know if Savage ever uh, goes down, you know, completely with Liz out there. Dude, you, you have – I don't even know what you've hit on, but, like, I know, I know when someone strikes something, you know – because it's also, is Savage ever going to rise again until Liz is standing over him at WrestleMania 7? Yeah, not in the same way. He'll be very different. 
So something weird happened within that. And that kick out was so weird. So like it didn't make much sense to me. But I think there's something symbolic and under the surface there that is. So, uh, yeah, does Savage lay down and lose to Hulk Hogan with Liz still in a neutral corner? That's hard to believe. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, some piece of the fire went out when she went away, and that was sort of like, you know, she's not coming back this time. You know, it's it's a little too broken this time. I don't know. It could be something, something to that. Man, so that's something to note. Uh, one more Lex Luger comment, because nobody's yeah. ever had a career like Lex Luger, and nobody's had to know what it's like to be a fan of him their whole life, I don't think. Uh, this is 89. This is a year after Luger and Flair, Gray American Bash. Hulk Hogan gets busted open in the match. I don't know how he did, but like, is he bleeding? I guess you need to look. Is he bleeding under the eye? Because, you know, I can't see as well as you. And then yep. Jesse's like, well, maybe they should check on him. Maybe they should call the match. And then Grolonson says, you're not going to stop a championship match for a cut above the eye. <laughs> well, dear friend, yes, you are. It's the Great American Bash 1988. And Lex Luger has Rick Flair in the human torture rack. So you are once upon a time. <laughs> That's the difference, I guess, between WWF and WCW. So it's also no, you know think about calling a match for a cut above the eye while the guy has his finisher, which puts the other man on your back. <laughs> we really should have just covered that show when we were doing WCW. Yes. So that, that's on us. We could have had this conversation done and dusted, but yes, of course you're right. And so, God, dear God, but of course this is what a real championship match is, and people paid money for it. And no, you do not call the match. But I like that Hulk Hogan's bleeding because yeah. he's going to lose a lot more in time, but he needs to bleed and he needs to suffer because he's done very bad things. I agree. Yeah, he goes through his own pain in this match. and uh, yeah. So Savage does hit the elbow after Liz leaves, but uh, Hogan kicks out at two. He's starting to Hulk up, and it's a very short distance from there to Hulk Hogan with the big boot, with the leg drop, with the victory that makes Jesse Ventura say, I feel sick. On commentary. Mm. Yeah. This is hard because it's so fast after that match that Hulk Hogan's got the belt around his waist and telling the referee to get Savage out of the ring. And I think, like, the only difference now, like, you have ruined a romantic relationship, you ruined a business partner with a manager, you ruined the so-called best friend brother and the only difference is, like, when you pose it into the show, which you'd probably already be doing, now you got a belt around your waist. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so there's part of me is, like, no shame and no sorrow. I just kind of feel sorry for you, and, like, this is a little bit sad. And then, like I said, then later on there was this other part of me that, yes, Hulk Hogan would do anything to be in this moment, and that's why he kind of should be in this moment, even if he doesn't necessarily deserve to be in this moment. And Randy Savage had maybe the worst time of his life in this moment. So when you look back at some of this, there's both that Hulk Hogan is a complete asshole for like pointing out that like, Oh, Hulkamania is more popular than the madness. I'm the real world champ. They don't really accept him. Like it's worse partly because it's true, but also it's true and it's true. So Hogan can both be disgusting in this and can be, the man who put Randy Savage out of his misery, and I think both of those happened. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Because it just, I don't know what I expected this match to be, but I feel like when I saw Randy Savage, the way that I saw him, it wasn't because he was going to beat Hulk Hogan or he was going to get Liz back. 
is that he's already free of the burden that was supposedly the blessing of being the world champion. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's going to have to take a very different tack now, and I don't know if that will be more fire or more space or what, but we will see a different Randy Savage. He will soon have Sherry. He will soon be the Macho King, and uh, his career, well, I don't know. It's going to look a little different than it does right now. So. And there's something rewarding about letting go like that. Sure, absolutely. He has been holding, like, this is all the cliches, you know, if you hold on to something too tightly, that's when you lose it. You know, that kind of thing is, but it's there for a reason. And I think about when Hulk Hogan becomes Hollywood Hogan. Like, that had to be some of the most fun in his life where he could tell people to stick it and cheat in matches and give people all kinds of shit. This is Randy Savage's moment right now. Because... This is a case where I feel like everybody could have done everything wrong and nothing wrong. Like it's not it's okay if the fans preferred Hulk Hogan to Randy Savage, mm. you know. But also, you kind of made him think at least he was the world champion, and you supported him for what he was, and you weren't making a fool out of him, as he would say. And you kind of were making a fool out of him. Mm. But, but then Randy Savage, like he wanted to be all these things that Miz fans so beautifully pointed out, but he wasn't those things. And I don't think he ever was speaking from anything authentic inside of him. He might have been speaking from what he wished was authentic, but you're, that's not Randy Savage. And like it or not, that's not your best self. Like your best self is likely still to come, Randy Savage. Yeah. You know, so and then Hulk Hogan, you know, God bless you. Go pose with your belt. Like there's something very hollow at the end of that, yeah. that I've never seen a lonelier celebration in my life. Yeah, I kept waiting for something to happen. I think I mentioned at the end of this, is, is Liz going to come out? You know, is something with Savage? Is Savage going to be with Sherry already? Something feels like it should have happened, but now it's just Hulk Hogan all alone, and you're right, it does feel uh, kind of lonely here at the end. Hogan got rid of everybody kind of in his social circle, and now here he is all by himself, just the way he wanted it. Yeah, and you get what you deserve, so like it's going to work a little while. But, like, these tricks, like, you're going to pull the same tired tricks. And the way that it was so easy to make a fool out of Randy Savage, like, the whole WWF, the fans, they're all going to make a fool out of you. Yeah, you're going to be the one that's not authentic. You're going to be the one that's not chosen. You're going to be the one that's not wanted. And it's only going to be then that you can even start to understand what that feels like. But it's got to be an amazing thing to think, I got away with it. But nobody got away with anything in this feud. Nope. You said it right last time. They're all guilty, and they all uh, <laughs> are going to suffer for it. <laughs> Look at it. You know, Liz, I guess she's going to be on her way out the door soon. You know, Hulk Hogan, congratulations. You get to go wrestle the boss man in a cage and carry the burden of whatever it is. And Randy Savage is going to be set free, like, it's going to be weird to watch because I don't know how Hogan does. Like I said, Tito, who writes you know, for years for Lords of Pain, said that for him, kind of the jumping the shark downfall moment is the Zeus summer stuff. So it would be something if Hogan starts to become at least a little bit stale while Randy Savage gets one of the freshest times in his career. Yeah, I mean, it'll be well worth looking into. And, you know, we've judged... We prejudged Randy Savage's career paths before as well, so we're going to have to watch. Does he get that refresh that we think yeah. he will, or will something unexpected happen? So we're going to have to watch it very closely. That's a hell of a point. I just think that the most poetic stuff, like 
this Randy Savage run has to end with him like losing his career. <laughs> like that's the only <laughs> thing that can ultimately stop Randy Savage at this point. It is a destructive path, and we talked about how he lost everything. He didn't really lose everything here. He will lose everything at WrestleMania Seven, and then uh, he'll kind of hit rock bottom, and then he'll uh, he'll start to gain things again. And he'll come back a much more well-adjusted person for the rest of his WWF run. But we'll wow. we'll talk about all that. It's a hell of an arc, I think. That's beautiful, especially knowing that Hulk Hogan did not lose everything either, and mm-hmm. he will. You know, this is a Hulk Hogan who is going to sit under a leg drop from Yokozuna kind of get stretchered off, I think, and just be gone. Yeah. You know, so again, only with time. Ah, oh, guys, the luxury of life. Like if life is going well, you can abuse it up and down, left and right <laughs> and think that there's no price to be paid. Yeah. And then if nothing's going right, you can't, you can't do anything well enough or right enough sometimes to make it better. And time, time, these guys, these guys will all get what they deserved. And so we've already said that this is the end of a storyline that was so amazing. It was almost hard to have a match off of it. Mm. Man, what do you, what do you think after going through all the storyline match, like everything, like what, what's your lasting impression or where are you at with this? I do think it's one of the most uh, engaging storylines that I have ever seen, and uh, there's a reason that it was so tremendously successful. I think it deserved every bit that it got. I think it's a complicated and layered storyline, and uh, I leave with a very positive impression of all this, and I also see that we are very much almost out of time, but if you have any final thoughts, lay them on quick, and then we'll get out of here. I'm excited for everything we did, and I'm super nervous. and interested to see where we go now because we are entering the year that will lead to Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. We are indeed. We will be coming back next episode with Saturday night's main event. We will see Randy Savage teamed with Sensational Sherry to take on that perfect tag team partner, Jim Neidhart, in a singles match. We will see Hulk Hogan finally get in the cage with the big boss man. We will see Demolition taking on the Brain Busters for the Tag Team Champions of the World. It's going to be a lot of good stuff on this next show. I'm looking forward to it. That's an amazing show, which both kind of has a few roots into where we've been, but also very much feels like it's launching us into a new uh, time in this year. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. We're very much almost out of time. Give me a shout on Twitter if you like. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out the programs on LOP Radio. Check out the columns on WrestlingHeadlines.com and www.lopforums.com. Check out all that great stuff. It is excellent. We'll be back next week. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature climbing on the mountainside. 